Excited? I'm excited. I, um, we have Joseph W. Naus. Hello. Hello. Sitting hello. right Very there. Excited. Um, and he's going to sit in with us uh, for the show. So this will be this will be fun. Okay. Should we just let's, let's dig just in? And, uh, and we're back. We're Welcome back. to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X, and I'm Mike. And I'm Joseph Mouse. <laughs> and boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. In a miraculous, unbelievable, unexpected, too-good-to-be-true twist of fate, straight pepper diet author Joseph W. Nouse joins us in studio after flying all the way from California. And boy, are his arms tired. Man, I hey. butchered that. <laughs> he's here to uh, discuss uh, his life, his work, his recovery, a little bit about his books, and just about anything else that's on his mind today on a very special edition of RMA. I think you nailed that. I almost. Yeah. I mispronounced California. I sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger. California. California. Yeah. Um, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> hey, it's good to be here. This is exactly what I, I envisioned. Oh yeah, the studio. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's admiring. Well, the I mean, studio. I don't want to give away any, any secrets or anything. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was going to be like a control booth in one of those movies where the CIA been. agents are all <laughs> sitting behind a booth and Tommy Lee Jones is telling them what to do. You right. know? Like <laughs> Google this, Google that. I thought it was going to be like that, but it's it's much yeah. more like a storeroom. It, we like to, we like to call it homespun. Right? Homespun. <laughs> but the uh, the important thing is the content, right? The stuff right. that we get out. And uh, Joseph made it all the way from. Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Uh, so what we're going to do is, without it being too awkward, we're going to like <laughs> plow through the show with Joseph sitting here, and then we're going to do a full interview. Yes, I'll uh, do the proper introduction and so forth a little down the line, right? All right. Yeah, so let's go. Uh, first, we'd like to welcome all the new people listening here in the USA and around the world. <laughs> Uh, we love hearing from you, so please, if you like what you hear, write a review on your favorite listening platform and share it with a friend. Where can they find us, Mike? You know, I noticed we have a listener in Kazakhstan. We do. Yeah. What? Yeah. Lovely. I wonder what they're up to. What are they getting out wow. of this? Yeah. <laughs> well, a couple in Pakistan. Yeah, uh, we have some far-flung um, listeners. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand is, is really representing lately, though. Yeah. We're getting uh, a lot of love from New Zealand. Well, which, we, uh, I love New Zealand. Yeah, it's a great place. You know. They film Lord of the Rings there. True. Right. Uh, so you can visit us at middleagesrecovery.com to listen, submit your story, buy awesome merch. Please buy the merch. It's, it's, we have a lot of it. Uh, and get in touch with us if you so desire. Great reviews will be read on the air. Uh, log on to your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five-star review and say something nice. Um, and join the Facebook group. But what, excuse me? Oh, you're not. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> 24 7, 365. Right. right. Join the Facebook group. Why should they join the Facebook group? Um, it's a chance to talk. And we, Joseph should join the Facebook group. It's where all the monsters get together. We talk about the show, we argue, but it's basically all love. Yes. It's a lot of love it's, on there. It's a big hug. Yeah. Really. So come join us. And we're having a book club. This is a new thing, and it's tomorrow. Yeah. Did you know this? I did. Okay. Um, yeah. Grant B., um, uh, moderator and. Uh, 
director of the RMA Newsroom, is uh, running a book club. We're going to discuss, um, what's the book? Unbroken Brain, A Revolutionary New Way of Understanding Addiction, uh, Maya Zalovitz. Zalovitz. Now, ah. I listened to this book. Uh, it's very good. It goes a lot along with our the Dopamine Nation book that we just covered. Yeah. I mean, it really is that kind of, you know thought process like we're thinking about how dopamine is affecting our brain and sort sort of of like the other side of the dopamine thing right because it's it it posits that addiction is a learning disability yeah which which i I thought was sort of ah, i never thought of that you know like and if it is then how then can you treat it and so it'll be a really interesting discussion it's october 28th thursday 5 p.m uh, Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. So uh, if you're looking for that Zoom link, join us on the Facebook group and um, either ask someone or you can find the post. And we'll be there. I think I'll be there. I'm going to try to get yeah. to get there as well. I'm excited to be there and see some of the uh, yeah. some of our listeners. It'll be awesome. Grant is out of Sacramento, which is why it's 5 p.m. California, right, 8 right. p.m. our time. So. Ah, uh, you could tell us your story by logging on to middleagesrecovery.com. We have we've had a, a, a lack of your stories lately. Yeah, I even went and was begging some of uh, on the group. Does anybody have a story? Where is everybody? Come fill out a story. Um, but we sort of did get one. We got one from um, a different Jeff. It's it, his name is another Jeff. Uh, he <laughs> says after listening to several episodes, I checked out the Annie Grace video uh, with Mike. And he did not look like how I had pictured him. He is a bit younger looking and thinner than I had imagined. So I wonder, what does Nat look like? When he speaks, I see Patton Oswald. Is that close? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not that close. So thank you so much for writing. Patton Oswald were off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Patton Oswald, uh, interestingly. Sometimes. I like that uh, I sound old and fat. You do. You uh, sound very old and very yes, fat. I have, I have a face <laughs> for radio. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Joseph looks exactly like I pictured him because I stalked him on the internet yeah. and looked up pictures of him. I know. Um, <laughs> but it's true, though. You know, it's so weird seeing people. Like, is this weird to see us after listening to some episodes? And like, It is. You know. I, I specifically tried to keep the ideas of what you look like outside of my head mm. I tried not to envision it so yeah it's so I weird like of, putting the, the only thing, thing i had was i remember one episode it might have been the last episode where where mike was commenting on your guns and i wasn't <laughs> sure whether he was joking clearly he was not I there are guns. Some guns they are real guns <laughs> yeah that's some crazy although i haven't been to the gym in over a month see wow that's your uh, genetics dude it's, it drives me nuts people like you i haven't had time since i took this second job i've like took away all my gym time so but when you started going to the gym a few months ago it was literally like within two weeks you came back and it, you look like you've been working out for 10 years muscle well i have been it just has been a while right you know i was really into bodybuilding in my in my 20s i went like berserker for like six years straight and then I gave up and I, my life went to shit and my, like my addiction <laughs> took over. And I, you know, but recently, as part of the pandemic protocol, um, I uh, started working out again. Is that what we're calling it? The pandemic protocol? I should. Re- yeah, I like <laughs> Trademark. Kind of restitching the, live back, the lives um, back together. We, it's, it's hard not to try and, you know, interview Joseph right now, but let's get through the list. Okay, because yeah, all sorry. I want to do is talk to Joseph. But uh, um, so much of our brand is bullshitting. That's true. Uh, <laughs> we do have a review. Finally. We do, and it's 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 so long. Do you want to read it? Yeah, sure. Okay. It says, good stuff, guys, and it's from someone called Yep Me Too, or Yep. 
He says, or she says, keep it up. I do like this stuff before the main topic. Yay, thank you. Hashtag. (laughs) And then he says uh, the acronym that uh, describes our town. Right. Which, I don't know, if is that done to like intimidate us? Like, I know who you are. It's a warning. Or like, yeah, (laughs) it's like a local someone. Keep it up or else. You know. Yeah. We're going to tell everyone, you know, because we're tra- sort of anonymous, at least in this town. All right. So you know, no, no reference to this specific city. Like, he, disp- well, even though we have, but we don't. Occasionally I catch it and cut it out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't catch it. I mean, you certainly seem to know where to take the train without being told, right? Yes, so. that's true. <laughs> yeah. How did I figure yeah. that out? I think I figured that out with some extra extra information that I got from emails. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You do put the uh, corporate address probably in your... Uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Anybody that gets a t-shirt knows where we live. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, we have another Monster Speak uh, segment today. Monsters Speak. 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 I'll get speak. something on the board eventually for that. Uh so this is a reaction to the last show. So this is what we've been doing lately is doing a little bit of post-show reaction because now we'll do a show and this didn't used to happen and then we'll get reactions on the Facebook group. It used to be because no one listened to us. Right. So now <laughs> so. there's a couple of listeners and some of them are speaking. And um, so this was about, if you guys remember, we did a show about the Phoenix House um, and Aaron Moore and we talked about the documentary the Last Stop, which is about one of these, uh, like a youth uh, therapeutic yeah, community. Troubled that, Teen Community Center based on the Synanon. Uh, Synanon, so it's a lot of, of addiction treatment. abuse really going on. And so lots of kids and adults, too, were basically abused at these places in the name of treatment. And, um, and so the documentary, we discussed that with uh, the great Erin Moore, who does a segment for us every three or four weeks. And she was in something called the Phoenix House, so she could really speak to that. So after doing that show, Alan B. on our group writes, I'm listening to the latest episode over my morning coffee. I was in a therapeutic community based on the Synanon Phoenix House model in 1976 when I was 16. I got sent by my school for being a pain-in-the-ass garbage-head trout kid. What is that? Truant? Truant. Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> huh. That's an old word. Uh, I got sent by my school for I can be in a pain, skipping out of the 10th grade for a year. The two populations uh, at the place were kids sent by the New York City Department of Education so that there were us kids, a.k.a. the adolescents, and people sent by their probation and parole officers. Oh, what could go wrong? Right. It's a nice so mix. it's like regular kids that kind of their parents were worried about them. They caught them like, smoking a joint. And parolees. <laughs> I got an education on life skills from the guys who had been to prison. It was uh, like Aaron is talking about. Physical, sexual, and emotional abuse were the currency. The guy who founded it came out of Samaritan Village and was found to be stealing money and having sex with residents while I was there. Uh, the regime that replaced him were all convicted of Medicaid fraud years later uh, and that they, the doors were closed down by New York State. Thank huh. you so much for writing. Um, yeah, that's awful. I can't believe these things ever functioned, you know, but uh, the fact that they still do. I mean, have you heard, uh, Joseph, about the, you know, day toppers and all of that, like the original super hardline 12-step recovery uh, like I guess there were like hospitals. Twelve step is in that. Though, no, right? not. I, I, mean, I got to be careful because yeah. we are we do support twelve step. At least I do. Yeah, I and, I listened to that episode. And I yeah. never heard. Of, I never heard of Synanon. Yeah. My wife had, but she's got a little more time than me, and she 
Let's tell me about it. But yeah, I remember when I was scary. in rehab, there was a, there's a place called Impact, mm. and it's really big, and it's in Pasadena, right by Pasadena Recovery Center, literally right down the street. And it, and I remember them talking about people digging, having to dig their own graves was a, Jeez. <laughs> and wearing signs like like they did in that documentary, wearing signs. Right, it's I, the shaming, I, and I don't think it was a bad place. I think they had changed since that was going on. I don't know, but. Yeah, it's weird. I, I just, I don't get the logic that putting somebody in the center of a room and, and trying to break them down mentally is is, is conducive to anybody's uh, long-term recovery. I mean, maybe shock therapy is effective for a short period of time, but uh, I mean, so many of the people that end up leaving there end up committing suicide and, uh, you know, having all kinds of problems, uh, mental problems later on in life. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't get how that became sort of the go-to uh, for courts at least up in New England and, and part of New York, they would just send people there. But I mean, the relationship between the courts. Well, we know one reason, right? Because one judge was getting paid off, right? Well, yeah. Those yeah. two guys in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, exactly. There's some of that. It's just, you know, and it speaks to a larger problem, which is what we were talking about, sort of like how society and the courts and parents and teachers don't really, or they didn't uh, understand addiction, how to treat it, uh, and a lot of this was fear-based, just like, I don't know what to do with my kid. Here's this guy who says he knows something, and this person said that it helped her. And they, you know, we trust these kinds of, um, these places, and they don't have, I don't know, the know-how. They're just, and it just runs out of control because people don't want to be involved or they don't want to think about it. They just say, you know what, go to this, you know, the Phoenix yeah. house or something. And they're not thinking about, you know... W whether it's working or, and it just got out of control. Well, it's like, it's dual tracks, right? They have contracts with the courts, so they get that stream of revenue. And right. then they have uh, parents coming up. And like I said last week, you know, the first thing they do is a forensic audit of the parent's wallet to make yeah, sure they right. can pay for it. And then, um, you know, so, you, so that's like what, well, I know in 1975, when, when this Elon school started, it was $1,200 a month times 250 kids every month. I mean- Good money. Yeah. So so that was last show, and that was Monksters Speak, Speak, Speak. Um, <laughs> this is the part of the show, Joseph, when we talk about our weeks. This is how we fill up airtime. Um, and so as I'm doing things, I'll, I'll take notes on my, on my iPhone. And uh, one of the big things that we did last week was my son's 11th birthday. And I've been talking a little bit about, because he had a Squid Game theme party. Which yeah, has come, that's pretty crazy. Which has come back to bite me in the ass a little bit. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> I'll and, uh, that out. <laughs> I blame the mother, you know, but really it's I my think, fault. I think my wife actually was sort of the she, impetus behind that oh, as yeah, well. She, yeah, she said to Christine, like, let, I saw the text message. It was like, uh, how about a squid thing? Squid games. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Christine's like, how would that work? And I don't know what that discussion devolved into. But, but it was, we had the family party this week, so... He had to do a party, you know, last week with his friends, and then this week, so the whole family came over, um, cousins, and um, lots of pumpkin beer. Um, I'm the only person really in recovery in my family, so for a while, we were having dry holidays, like completely, because everyone was like, Nat's in bad shape, and, you know, let's just not have alcohol around him. So that was about five years worth of that. But since I've been, I'm a lot better and my wife's comfortable having alcohol in the house because I'm not going to drink it. So now people bring alcohol 
And it's just, I was thinking how strange it is. Like I opened the fridge and there's like literally a case of pumpkin beer and right. thinking like, man, there was a time where that would not have lasted a week in my house, even, or especially when I was on probation and it was illegal for me to drink. For some reason, it was the hardest for me to do then, mm. you know, even though I knew I was being tested, I was just looking for a way to game it. it it's so bizarre. It's such a different way of thinking. And um, in any case, it, it just kind of was interesting to me that like, and I don't love having alcohol in my house. I mean, I notice it and I say, okay, great. Isn't it great that I'm not drinking it right now? But um, I don't know. What am I going to do? You know, we told them not to leave it and they did. So yeah, hopefully my wife will drink it before I do. My uh, wife had a had a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc sitting on the counter last night, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I passed by it. And it, usually, I never even think about it. You know, it's just like out of my head. But yeah, I, like yesterday was like a really stressful day. I'm like, I was on the phone for work. I get there's I'm waiting for a verdict to come in on a case, and I'm like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it's like it's yeah. sitting there sweating on the counter. I don't like, like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I'm thinking about yeah. reinstituting. What it, are, do, does Teresa uh, drink? No, no, she's... So the two of you, so you're living in a situation where nobody is like, I want a drink. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's nice. My brother-in-law is, uh, he's he's one of us, and and for his wedding, we bought a ton of alcohol. It was funny, the two of us both in the program (laughs) go up to Costco and literally buy like a thousand dollars. Isn't it weird? (laughs) And it was fun because it just doesn't tempt me anymore, but the other day I was over there because we go up there once a week to visit my nieces and nephews, Mm. and... We open the cabinet above the refrigerator, which is really high. Like I think even my uh, sister can't reach it, so I reach it, and but there's you just can reach all it. this alcohol. <laughs> and I was like, you know, every once in a while, it, there's something about a Jack and Coke and a yeah. tumbler with ice. Yeah, it, it's so it hard. Like maybe if they announce the end of the world, and I'm pretty sure they're right, yeah. that maybe <laughs> you know that type of thing. But yeah, that, it's hard not as- to romanticize that. And a lot of the recovery work I've done has been to disabuse myself of that idea that a drink is a reward. Right. That's been a lot of the work I've had to do because for me, a drink is a fentanyl overdose. Um, (laughs) Right. I mean, that's what happened last time. Um, So good way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't put any separation between one and the other. Um, I don't lie to myself though. It's not like, I don't really think if I took a drink, it would kill me. A lot of people say I would die if I had, I mean, I know I wouldn't, it's just not something I want for my life. You know, I know it's not going to end well. Um, and it's not important to me. I picked um, up, I picked up my wife's glass last night and I put it up. I smelled it and I was expecting to be like repulsed by it. But instead I was like, that smells just as good as I remember it smelling. Oh, it was, was it red wine? Uh, it was okay. actually white. It was a Sauvignon was Blanc. Sauvignon yeah, but, Blanc. But I was, okay. but I mean, yeah. that's all I was drinking for the last like two years before I quit drinking. Like I fancied myself a wine connoisseur, but it really, it was just whatever vehicle could Dude. get the wine into my belly fast enough. <laughs> I so. wanted so badly to join the New York Times wine. Yeah. They send thing. you the bottles. I was like, yeah, <laughs> so how much is it? And I'm like, how many bottles do I get? You know? <laughs> I'm like, why would they ever send? Uh, Cause it was, I looked at that too and it was half bottles and I'm like, well, I don't want a half bottle. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> why would I want a half Did bottle? Um, so that was, that was my yeah. birthday party. I'm very Happy to continually celebrate my children because I'm basically a butler, you know. Wait, how many children do you have? Just the two. You have two, yep. and they're 11 and what? 11 and 7. And they're both boys? Yep. And yep. you have all boys too? All boys, three of them. And, they're, and one seven, of them like 17, 17, 14, and 11. Who was the one that was drinking the beers off the patio or porch? 17. That was a 17. Yeah. Well, he'll okay. be 17 okay. on Friday. So, But when he was doing that, he was 15. So. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a recent 
story, but well, uh, recently it's well, that was no. I think you might be thinking of his. My kids cousin, don't drink. Your cousin. Oh, oh yeah, at that party no, no, you were no, at. No, no, no. There was a. You had a bunch of alcohol or a case of beer that was on the oh, yeah. steps. Yeah, and they were drinking one beer at a oh, time yeah. and leaving it there and not hiding it. <laughs> right. Right. Was that fifty? At fifteen? Yep. yep. Yeah. I think that was yeah, okay. it yours. Um, and then you had this, Nate. You had the story about the. Uh, at the wedding, the kid, the kid yes. was, the kid was or it was a, a party. graduation party. Graduation party. I was just talking was about wasted. that to someone else, and we were saying like, "Don't you? Didn't you think that was weird? That you know, someone else who was there might have been my one of my parents." And I said, "You know, didn't you see that the, the team? You know, they were drinking, and that all of the parents didn't like seem to care, and it seemed to be well accepted." And a couple of the opinions I got on it were like, "Well, it's they're watching it, and." You know, I would let my kid drink. It's better that they're doing it in front of their parents than alone. And all of that kind of logic. I don't particularly go in for that. I don't know. I don't think it's a good precedent to set. Mm. I don't know. It's just me. Uh, I, it I probably re- doesn't matter. I know every kid is going to drink when they get to college, mostly. So what's the big deal? I don't know. I like to have the kids at my house with their friends. I, I don't think I would be permissive about the drinking, though. No, because think about the parents who did that with drug addicts, and then the kid dies in their room. Yeah. You know? I know a few people that ended up in high school dying in their bedroom, you know? The so. flip side of that is if the kids really want to do it, they're going to figure out a way to do it. Right. No matter what you say to them. Because 17-year-olds yeah. don't think that you know anything. I'm sure I'll yeah. change my tune when my son is 17, and there's nothing I could That's <laughs> where we're going. Um, speaking of kids... Did you do an essay for your child for school? Yeah. You're doing his homework. Huh? First time ever. What is that teaching him? It's teaching him nothing good. How dare you? Yes. You were just... How dare I? What? <laughs> the problem is... What is the problem? Wait a second. Did you just admit on the air to this... Uh, plagiarism. Uh, to this plagiarism? Yes. Hopefully his teachers don't listen. Hopefully nobody at his school listens to this show. <laughs> well, I'm not going to mention the school, although I have in the past. But, you know, it's interesting because his brother... His older brother, you know, we've been sort of, he has severe ADHD, so like the volume of work that he has to do to birth himself out of high school to get to college is just more than he can handle. So we have been known from time to time to, um, to take on some of the, you know, assignments that are, you know, not, not really heavy, you know, it's just like outlining and defining and things like that. So Jack, who has never had problems, very self-starter, self-motivated, uh, I guess has seen this and is now like, wait a minute, where's my, where's my help? Where's hell? the hookup? You know? So uh, he, he approached us and it, it was kind of crazy because he went on a class trip this past weekend to Gettysburg for school and he was gone all day and he had this overwhelming amount of work. So I, I, I acquiesced. I said, yes, I'll do it for you. It was nice. And I, now I know more about Emperor Xi of China and how he brought the country together than yeah. most oh, yeah. people do at my age. I, I learned a lot helping my kids out with their so, with the with Noah with his social studies. I'm like, oh, I I remember this, and I'm like, I don't remember that. I'm like reading it, but listen, you do what you got to do. But you went to Gettysburg. I didn't go. Um, he went. On you know, a bus. my brother graduated from Gettysburg. Oh, the college. college. He yeah. went to the battlefield. Yeah. Jack. Oh, they weren't visiting the college. No, they were going to. Pickett's charge and all that you stuff. You know, that's haunted like crazy. You know how we do the weak and weird, Joseph? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, Gettysburg, that battlefield is one of the most haunted areas. Like, ghost hunters galore. Like, you yeah. go there, there's tons of ghosts running around shooting each other. Makes sense. Mm. 
All of wait, the, wait, let me ask a yeah. listener question here. Yes. So when you guys get home, do your kids listen to this and go and like pick your brain about, like, hey, dad, you shouldn't have said that or what? what's up with my, that? My kids do not listen to this show. Is, is that like by, by mandate? Uh, not that it would be enforced or Ben would not listen to it. Jack has no interest. Dimitri, I don't think he cares what I have to say. So no. And your wives? Uh, my wife says she li- she listens when she goes when she walks, and so there is a little bit of pressure because sometimes I'll say something and she'll be like, you know, I can't believe you said blah blah blah, you know, and, right. and so we're a little cognizant of that. But my my kids, my oldest son knows I do a podcast. My wife usually gets through about ten or fifteen minutes before she's sick of hearing me talk, and <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think she's like, you guys talk too long, you know, get a get to the main topic and yeah. you know yeah, we do a lot of bullshitting there's uh, something to be said for that but some people like the bullshit right i like it i like it yeah, yeah. i appreciated that email by the way that was very <laughs> well received because yeah, we Joseph have no idea you know we have no idea what people like and what they if they just blip through the early stuff and yeah. anyway you know what this is a i noticed you put your 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 vaping on here you yeah. know your continued success at not engaging with the nicotine demon and really this is a good opportunity for you let me ask joseph this when was the last time you took anything nicotine related is that like an ongoing like where are you at with your smoking addiction the last time i had nicotine was june 20th 2008 wow wow i was still in a heavy metal band back then (laughs) that's how long ago that was wow so and did you do um any like nicotine replacement for a period of time or were you cold turkey i did the um i did the uh uh gum yeah no, I, no, I did the gum uh, wait a second i did the last thing i did was the patch doing the gum yeah i'm yeah. with you hey i'm just not chewing whatever, it out because i gotta be on mic whatever works man yeah especially that vaping you know as a member of a 12-step group that does uh anti-nicotine 12-step group uh we see the people that are coming in off vaping yeah and it's a lot different they come in with uh bronchitis and uh, a lot of them end up in the emergency room and they get uh pneumonia and so i think there's a lot of just like people don't really know because there's a lot of myths out there about oh it's healthier for you because it doesn't have the same stuff in it yeah Yeah. i'm telling myself i'm not sure that's true from what i've seen interesting but i'm not a doctor and i hate it when people say i'm not a doctor yeah if we can't we're not allowed to analyze facts. Well, you still have, have a Juris a doctor. Degree. You don't lose a Juris. <laughs> you, you actually are a doctor, You have right? a J-Law. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, counts. I'm not a lawyer. Well, you still have to abide by the law. Uh, well, anyways, well, my point is, is that I, good on you for not vaping. Well, I think it's, the, I think we're going to find out that it's every bit as nasty as uh, cigarettes. Well, one of the, one of those cartridges has, has as much as four packs of cigarettes oh, in it, right? Or something. And there are kids at the, at the high school here who were ripping through a cartridge a day, Well, you know, and which yeah. one of them, a friend of my older son's ended up having a seizure and being taken to the hospital because of the nicotine vaping. Yeah. So, nicotine isn't, isn't great for you. In fact, when they, uh, when they went through a Qaddafi's stockpiles after he fell, I was watching a documentary about Qaddafi, and he had biological weapons, one of which was nicotine. Really? Yeah, yeah. As, as like an agent to, I guess, poison people. Huh. Um, so nicotine is a biological weapon. But I'm glad that you said that because I'm at a place with my vaping right now where I'm still not convinced that it was so bad. You know, like with heroin and alcohol, I've fully convinced myself that I don't want to do this and it's not a reward and it hurts me. Vaping, I'm not quite there yet. So I need to hear more stories because yeah. I'm still, I'm chewing the gum. I'm like, 
you know, I'm still playing the victim. I'm like, what's the big fucking deal? You know, I don't do drugs anymore. <laughs> I don't smoke cigarettes. Why can't I fucking vape? You know, and because it's my kids are giving me a hard time because they hear it at school and they're like, you shouldn't vape. And I'm like, if you had any idea what else I had quit to just do this. Right, so right. I'm still at that point where I'm like, well, you got to ask yourself, are you controlling and enjoying, not controlling or enjoying, but controlling and enjoying your vaping? I was, I was not controlling it. I mean, it was too much. Like, even for me, like, but I'm still going through those same, you know, thoughts that I did with drinking. It's like, I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. And, and I'm making deals with myself. I'm like, all right, we'll just sneak one and I'll only smoke it when no one's looking. And then I'll chew gum the rest of the time. So I went through some of that and then I listening to myself and I'm like, man, I sound just like I did when I was trying to quit drinking. Mm. Right. You know? Well, it sounds like, uh, what's that stuff that you guys did the podcast on with the, uh, Kratom? Kratom. Kratom. Yeah, Kratom. I've never heard of that, but when they were describing <laughs> yeah. the way they were doing it, I was like, well, that's, you could just literally edit out the word Kratom and throw in heroin and it would yeah. sound exactly the same. Right. Right? Or wow. nicotine or whatever. I mean, Jesus, huh. that was... That was yeah. pretty uh, amazing. Yeah, I don't see that stuff as benign as a lot of people. No. I'm, I'm thinking about cutting down or stopping taking. Well, once we once we put that episode instead, yeah, Great. that's what I should do. <laughs> I can't quit everything. I mean, you could be on. walking around like uh, barely <laughs> able to move your arms. Uh, <laughs> the thing about that kratom episode, which was interesting, is like once we put it out there, we started getting a lot of stories about people that had the similar uh, experiences Bianca did. You know, it's yeah. it's like a lot of people are are struggling with that stuff. A good segue because she, we followed up with her on the private group. Oh yeah. That's one thing we like to do. And, uh, you know, so I posted something that says like, Hey, Bianca and Jeff, how are you doing since, uh, the show? Cause she's still like at the very beginning of recovering from getting off of it. Right. And so what she said was she's doing great, but she's having psychological difficulties. So sort of like, uh, like the stage I'm at, which is I'm not, having physical withdrawals, you know, I'm supplementing with nicotine. So what is the draw? Why am I still thinking about vaping? So she's at that stage now where I think she's past the physical withdrawal, but now she's kind of like, man, I could be really nice. Mm. You know, the same way, like when I go to brunch, I'm like, bloody Mary. You right. know, it's like one of those things. The brain makes connections. So, but she is doing much better. She hasn't relapsed. Good. And uh, it's nice to hear from, uh, Bianca, can we? Do you think we should sort of blip ahead to the? I don't know the main. You want main it? event? But I have all of this to talk about. What else? Halloween parties. Okay. Costume parties. You want to just? We could just go into it. Should we just go into it? I think we should. Let's all just right. do it. There wasn't anything that interesting. I was going to tell you guys a really juicy story about a Halloween party me and my wife used to go to before uh, we got sober, but maybe next time. Do we have another episode before Halloween? We don't, right? Do it on the, uh, the Patreon. We could right. do it on the, the Patreon. So with that, I think what we should do is take a break. Okay. So that I can uh, right. gotcha. use the bathroom. Yep. And we'll be right back after these words. Well, for five years after law school, I uh, I worked I worked three years for the city of New York in their in their torts division. So I did, um, you know, I defended the city. I defended uh, cops, also uh, pothole cases, whatever came in through the door. Right, There's right. a lot of pretrial stuff, but then they put me on the trial thing. So I did I did a bunch of trials there, and then I went to a firm and I did trials. And then it was a combination of like I just didn't want to work 80 hours a week, 
you know, yeah. and, and, you know, the law school I went to, what wasn't good enough to like, I wasn't getting paid the kind of money to justify the level of effort. Right. So I t- kind of sidestepped off into insurance and I, you know, I don't regret it. I'll put it yeah, that yeah. way. But yeah. Anyway, that's nobody wanted to hear that either. I <laughs> took my, my resume. It's, uh, uh, so let me like, let, let me do the. Can I do the? I'll do the thing. Are we back? We're back. Oh, and we're back. And yeah. we're back. You always have to say that. So oh, yeah. so they, they won't know. They won't know we're they back unless you. They won't be listening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we, today Joseph Naus has joined us in the studio. Uh, I'm just going to read your bio, which I, I I think I took it off the Amazon. Um, Amazon author's page. Do you write those or does Amazon write those? He has those? people writing that stuff. Yeah. Please. Myself or my wife wrote it okay. probably. <laughs> All right. Joseph His W. Team. Naus was born in 1971. He graduated from Pepperdine Law and passed the bar in 1997. As related in his harrowing yet hopeful memoir, Straight Pepper Diet, Joseph was raised by his mom, a heroin addict turned shut-in depressive amidst crime and poverty. At age 32, Joseph's American dream life became a nightmare when his addictions to sex, alcohol, and cigarettes collided and exploded. And then your tagline, which is I've seen just about everything I, I read about you, is on Tuesday I was a respected civil trial lawyer making six figures. On Wednesday I woke up handcuffed to a hospital bed charged with attempted murder, and then it got worse. Right? That's, that's, that's the one. What's, Welcome to RMA. I don't know who that guy you're talking about is. I was going to say, fucked up. what's it like hearing that? Like when, when you hear somebody else, you know reading that to you like what does that do to you i is it weird it's, you know uh i got sober the night of the incident of the right sighting incident which was in 2003 so that was 18 years ago yeah wow it's another and life i had a sponsee who is a big hollywood mogul now uh that it that helped me write that no mm. kidding and uh it's always been like the good because he knows how to write log lines yeah. you know in hollywood right. you have to have an elevator pitch or a log line or whatever you want to call it he was like you know kind of Help me with that. So I, I, I listened to it and it, it's worked. I mean, it's it's it, it's pretty dramatic. So, so you do. Yeah. Cl- it is a log line. Yeah, it is. A, I was about to say last night. He's like, do you know what this term a means? A log line. And that's I'm, like a marketing term or a yeah. publishing term. I never heard that one. Anyway, it's I, a Hollywood thing. A Hollywood. Oh, the, yeah, a log yeah, yeah. line is your elevator pitch, or something. Um, I think an elevator pitch is a little longer. Um, an elevator. Well, it can. It depends. I, depends I mean, on how long you're in the elevator. Yeah. I, <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, so I read uh, straight pepper diet uh, and then went right to Paul's grave after that. And I, it was, both of those were pretty harrowing books, straight pepper diet, maybe, maybe more so because, you know, as a lawyer who pulled out of my own nosedive before ending up, you know, where I assume would have been a similar, if not exact state, uh, I identify with a lot of your thinking, a lot of your thought process, um, especially like the way you described the events of the night where things went sideways for you. Uh, you, you, um, you have, a, it was almost as if you were narrating an inner voice that could have been inside my own head. And that was, an, I really appreciated the way that was done. Um, and, you know, as a lawyer, I also was sort of railing at the injustice of, of the way the DA prosecuted the case against you um, and, and forced you into the plea. Uh, that must've been very hard to accept, especially having knowledge as an, as an attorney about what was going on at the time. Yes. Um, but I mean, let's let's start back at the beginning. I guess um, I, I really like Straight Pepper Diet, but um, after reading Paul's graph, I, I, it seemed to me that the first book was more or less a setup for the second. 
Um, oh wow! And cool. it, and it was it, it, it's within like the Paul's graph that the rubber sort of met the road for you with spirituality and recovery and how you've learned to navigate life with all this stuff that you have hanging over your head. Um, so I mean, we say here that quitting the thing is like the beginning, and sometimes quitting is the easiest part of recovery and. And, you know, after that is when, when it really gets hard. So maybe the best way to set the stage for the discussion is by having you read a section of Paul's graph that kind of lays out your story. Uh, and then we can go back and maybe pick out some of the parts that'll lead us down some interesting avenues if you're amenable to that. Yeah, cool. Did you memorize it or is he going to read it? <laughs> I, can, uh, I don't even have the 12. I barely have the 12 you? steps memorized. I've been reading it every day for 18 years. <laughs> So uh, I, I have it written out if you want to. Okay, okay. Cause I, What's the best way to hold this? Like this? Oh, that's uh, it's a good question. Do you need? Okay. Yeah, no, this is good. Okay. Does this sound all right? Yeah, yeah sounds okay. great. I need a picture of this. So this is me. Oh, yeah, set the stage too. So yeah. just to set the stage, this is from uh, the Paul's Graph Revelation, which is my second book. And uh, this is me. I'm sitting uh, about to speak at a very large 12-step meeting. So here we go. And you had been sober how long at this point? This roughly? would be two years. Okay. This is a 90-minute 12-step meeting with a 10-minute break, and I'm the speaker. It's unusual for a speaker with only a couple years sober to share at a meeting this size, but my story is dramatic, so I get asked a lot. The rule is don't turn down a 12-step request, so I don't. When I'm asked, I show up. I do the deal and follow the traditional 12-step format. One, what I was like. Two, what happened. And three, what I'm like now. It's just a story in three acts. The circumstances of my life have been a well-shaken porta potty since the last time I took a drink, nearly three years ago, on July 26, 2003. But, thanks to this program, I've had many moments of love, serenity, laughter, and joy. I give them my usual pitch. I had a rough childhood. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I became a successful lawyer. Then my vices became addictions. I tell them that after I rolled my car off the freeway at 85 miles per hour and was arrested for a felony DUI, my solution was to move to a neighborhood in Santa Monica where I could walk to bars. I say, clearly driving was my problem. <laughs> This gets the usual laughter, and I feel like a hack comedian. <laughs> then I tell about the night when everything changed for me. I hit them with my log line. On Tuesday, I woke up a successful lawyer, but on Wednesday, I woke up handcuffed to a hospital bed charged with attempted murder. They go wide-eyed. They ooh and ah. Anyone who wasn't paying attention is paying attention now. I repeat for what feels like the thousandth time my carefully worded summary of my crime. In an alcoholic blackout, I broke into a strange man's apartment and woke him up in the middle of the night. We fought. He chased me out of his apartment, and then he and his neighbor beat the hell out of me, splitting open my head. Luckily, I was the only one seriously physically injured. I was charged with attempted murder because I placed the man in a deadly chokehold. I don't recall any of it. I only know what happened because I've read it in the police report. I didn't know the guy and had never been to his apartment. Then I tell them how I went to jail, rehab, and prison, lost my bar license, and fought to survive for two years. 
all the while getting clean and sober. I tell them that I think this program gives us all a chance to recover, not just from drinking alcohol, but from the spiritual malady that is addiction, that it's the center of my world, the last house on the block, and that I owe my life to it. What I don't share is that I'm a registered sex offender, that I have no idea how I'm going to support myself, that I'm going broke, that I'm terrified people will find out I'm a registered sex offender, that I'll die alone and homeless, that suicide is back on the table, and I don't tell them that giving up porn and prostitutes was far more difficult than quitting drinking, and I sure as hell don't tell them, if I'm being totally honest with myself, that I believe I'm as much of an active addict now as I've ever been. I've simply transferred all my addictions into the mother of them all, nicotine, Mm -hmm. cigarettes, smoking. And I think, and that I think a lot of them have too. And if we don't stop, we're going to die from it, like our founder, Bill Wilson, did. And that this fact is horribly ironic and sad. Well done. And that hits... That yeah. fires on all cylinders, and it's, it encapsulates one of the reasons why we did you know, a couple shows on your book, why we really enjoyed it, and why we're really excited to have you here, because it's sort of like doing this podcast, it's sort of us like doing research and trying to come to our own conclusions. Like We don't do the podcast and say, here's how it is. This is the answer, and you know, take it or leave it. We're, we're, we're exploring this stuff. And one of the conclusions we're starting to come to is we're realizing just what you said in that uh, in that section is that there's the stuff after you quit drinking is really the the most difficult. I mean, and it's hard to put myself back in my old shoes when mm. I was really addicted to drinking and make a comparison. But all of that stuff that you now have to deal with um, after you quit drinking, um, and and so that it really hits home to me. I was thinking one of the things I wanted to ask you was um, like what you did is miraculous for a number of reasons. Um, One of them is, you know, if you have a felony, that's one thing that can be extremely stressful and make you have a hard time recovering. Um, Then you have the, you know, the sex offender thing. And then you have that you're an addict. And then you have that you've been disbarred. And you have all of that hanging over your head and you still have to move forward and make your life happen. And like, I mean, that's amazingly difficult. So the fact that you have overcome in a lot of ways, I mean, uh, all of that, you know, like, um, I don't even think that's a question. I'm just amazed <laughs> uh, yeah. at what you have, you know, uh, gotten yourself through. And um, it's just a miracle to me. But yeah, I mean, speak to that a little bit. Um how you like the quitting the nicotine, like you got rid of the thing that put you in jail, basically. Mm. Um, if we think of the drinking as that, but now you're dealing with living a happy life as an adult and all of these other process addictions maybe is, I mean, you know, well, it's it, very we, difficult. We like to, um, you know, we talk about addiction whack-a-mole all the time here, how, you know, right. you can, you can get rid of the, the booze, <sighs> you can get rid of the sex addiction, but it, it's going to, it's going to come up somewhere else until you go inside and really do the work. The obsessive behaviors that and, are. Well, and in your case with the smoking, you know, um, what I thought was really interesting was the way that you smoked. It wasn't like you pull out a cigarette and have a cigarette. You'd pull out a cigarette and have 
a pack of cigarettes right. sitting there with a cup of coffee. And I mean, to me, that's like, might as well be a six pack, you know? Yeah. 18 <laughs> cigarettes in an hour. Pack. I think, yeah, yeah you were saying. Um, and, and so that, that's crazy. It's just, you know, the addictions, it's such a, an underlying issue. And that's what has been told to me by different, cause I've been to a lot of therapy and rehabs and things. But the, the smartest of my clinicians would say we have to get to the underlying issue. And you can't do that if you're still actively using. So it's almost like, I don't know, like I think people need to be more aware that, you know, you don't just go to rehab, dry out, and you're cured, right? right. It's like a lifetime usually, not of struggle, but of work and, and, and cinching up those loose ends and things like that. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a much bigger... I think of it, I, I sponsor a lot of guys over the years, many, many, many. And this the subject comes up a lot because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge subject that every single person that's in recovery has to consider. Because, I mean, I've never met an addict that has one thing going on. Maybe they think they have one thing going on. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm only addicted yeah. to beer, but, not wine. Spend <laughs> some time with me and we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and... You kind of have to wrestle with that. And I think the most important thing is like what you just said is that identifying that mm -hmm. is just knowing it is, is so important. And when I say knowing it, it is knowing that this addiction is a manifestation of these underlying issues mm. and that they are going to come out. If you stop drinking and you're in a rehab, like go to a rehab, what happens? I smoked more in rehab and <laughs> oh, ate more yeah. garbage in rehab than I ever did in my life. And if I didn't, I, that place probably would have been a, a bloodbath. I can't even right. imagine <laughs> what it would have been like. On the other hand, sometimes I do contemplate, man, if you could go to a rehab where they, and there are some rehabs like this, where they take away everything, mm -hmm. no cigarettes, no overeating, no. Right, they do no sugar, no, no chocolate. Or, right. I've God. read about that. And so you, you know, I, I, ironically, my closest experience to that was prison mm. and uh because when i was in prison i it was all taken away the only thing that i had the option to do was was uh nicotine in there but I, I didn't do it and you take away everything and you have nothing left but you and your relationship with whatever your higher power is yeah. whatever you call that i spent a shitload of time meditating and praying and exercising and because there was nothing else it was taken away and and it was really uncomfortable but it's something to think about, you know, if a sponsor comes to me and they're like, I'm near dead. Like I have a sponsor right now who's like, he's drinking himself to death. Like, yeah. I'm not going to tell him don't smoke or <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop going to Del Taco. Like, let's yeah. get to the first thing first. But once right. you've got some time away from that and the other things crank up and they will, yeah. you know, you got to ask these questions. Like, do you really want to kill yourself with that salt and sugar or yeah. nicotine or porn or video games or whatever it is? It well, you got to triage, right? I mean, triage. you got to you got to you got to take the, the you got to take the the, first, the the most immediate thing first. Yeah. I mean, so when you you know after you were arrested and and as part of the condition, I think of your your release on bail, they sent you to rehab and then a twelve step program. You had to do ten twelve step programs after that. Yeah. Were you all in from the beginning, like on that on on twelve step? Like, is this is the way I can recover because these people around me are, are successfully recovering this way? I mean, you were skeptical a little bit. I kind of remember yeah. reading yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I was skeptical, and I remember the conversation I had in rehab of somebody. It was this. She's dead now. I mean, 
I'd say probably half the people I knew in rehab are dead now. Yeah, and um, she was like this badass little chick that was in this all female punk rock band. And she was like all of 80 pounds and used to drink like a pint of vodka. Mm. And I was talking to her and another friend and, uh, you know, rehab friend. And, and I told them my story and they, they were like, you, they were just baffled. Like, you don't, you're not sure if you're an alcoholic. What the <laughs> fuck is the matter with you? And this is this person telling me this. Right. And I'm like, and then I contemplated a while and that's, that's kind of when I was all in. So it was within a couple months of being in rehab. I was in rehab for three months, but then I was in sober living for nine months. Wow, you, know. you did sober living too. That's right. Uh, I, I magically avoided that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember one of the things I really related to, and I can't remember because I'm conflating the two books now because I've read them both. That's a lot of info. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it really is. At uh, some point, yeah, like I really related, and I think uh, Mike as well, to any time you were doing your inner dialogue, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was um, when you were first hearing from these 12 step people and you're, and you're writing about like, oh yeah, right. This is bullshit. And you know, like this Bill Wilson guy from 1938 and how could any of that have any bearing on me? And I can't relate to this guy. Um, and we, I mean, we've all done that. I know I did. I mean, uh, Mike didn't really do much in the way of 12-step, but I'm sure you had those same thoughts. Absolutely. And I think you had to be crazy not to have those same thoughts um, because you walk into a situ situation like that, and usually, unless you're really just kind of dumb, and sometimes being dumb is great for sobriety, where you're not thinking, because that's what they're telling you to do. Stop thinking so much. Right, you can't, right. I mean, you've heard that. You don't try and think your way out of this one. Just do what we say. Yeah. So when you're a thinking person, it's very difficult not to sort of break down everything that you're... But that's sort of what they... That's what they ask us to do. I mean, yeah. that was that very difficult for you to just, you know, to surrender, so to speak, to the program and uh, before it started working? I, I, I mean, the, the bottom that I had was so gnarly. Yeah. Uh that in some ways, you know, it, it's been difficult in my post recovery, but in the, in the aftermath, it kind of helps because you're, when your bottom's so low, yeah. you're like, oh, oh, am I really going to intellectualize about this when I'm you're, literally, like you mentioned triage, like I'm literally right. drowning. I'm about to die. Like I've got a bullet it sucks that we had and I'm to, about to yeah. pull the fucking trigger. Yep. Am I really going to debate whether Bill Wilson was a, a womanizer or not, or, <laughs> or whether, you know, God exists. I'm just, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely had my intellectual hard to get thoughts that, about yeah. it, but I also had the like, "Hey, who cares? I'm dying." And yeah, this is a these people seem to there's be not a lot of people offering me solutions on how not yeah. to die. These people are. I'm gonna try this shit out. And yeah, that, that's an interesting point too. Is that that seems to be one of the only solutions on offer? Right. Right. You know, and and maybe if other solutions were out were proposed, people would go f go in different directions, right? For sure. But you know, yeah, yeah. There, mean, and there are there are other ones. They're not as popular, yeah. And they're some of them cost money, so that costs. You know, there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of issues you guys discuss on the show, sure, and stuff. But uh, the I spoke step is at everywhere. A, I spoke at like a meeting with like 300 people, in one of these programs, Amy Dresner invited yeah. me. Yeah, you guys know her. I sure. don't. Well. She's a friend, and she invited me, and it was like one of those alt program things. It was. I think they had like eight steps or something. It was, yeah. <laughs> it seemed very similar to <laughs> Which me. Which ones did they take out? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully the fifth step and the ninth step. <laughs> I don't know. You know. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of ways to, to do this. That's just the way I found. And 
I have found no reason to uh, to vary from yeah. that to sway from that and and uh, you know I don't I, the one thing I love about A is they they avoid controversy by not in, engaging in it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like imagine yeah. if a politician was like that. It's like yeah, not, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I find myself referring people to, even though, you know, I don't do strictly 12-step, you know, anymore, um, but whenever I get, like, somebody, people write us all the time uh, mm-hmm. on the Facebook group, like, my, I'm having this problem, and what should I do about my brother who's been using? I invariably, of course, I always try, and you know, I'm not a doctor, that's number one. <laughs> number two, um, here's a couple of great books, you know, keep listening to podcasts, but, like, Get yourself into a 12-step. Go to an AA meeting because they're all, there's a, probably one 10 minutes from your house. And it's, and it's uh, an immediate thing that you can do. And it covers the most important part sometimes, which is being around other people yeah. who yeah. want the same thing that you do. Even if there's a bunch of stuff you may or may not agree with dogma-wise, like at that point, like you said, what does it matter? You just need to be around people who care, and they do, Yeah, and giving you support because whatever you had without them wasn't doing that. Yeah. You know, so that is such an easy thing to just say, like just anybody anywhere in the world, go to an AA meeting because they can go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, a, that's an important yeah. thing to remember. Did you find that as your, your personal spiritual journey um, progressed that you were related to AA and to the steps in a, in a different way? I guess, yeah. I, you know, I kind of uh, have gone into different uh, spiritual modalities and um, kind of found myself in the science of mind kind of arena. Um, and so I would, f- I would say that AA was kind of the foundation, the mothership sort of, and mm-hmm. I would to go for, you know, I, I probably find more God in, um, in uh, those services and, and things than I do in, in 12 steps sometimes. So I guess that kind of, you know, cause sometimes you go to, meetings you feel like you need a little more maybe a different mm. crowd maybe people that aren't necessarily coming from the addiction par- paradigm mm-hmm. and it's like but that that's when you're an addict or as an addict it that's the foundation for me that's the thing i always come back to mm-hmm. right. you know yeah um what what is science of mind exactly i mean i know it's uh ernest holmes wrote wrote a couple books yeah, uh, Ernest holmes wrote wrote Science of Mind and the actual book Science of Mind is just a compilation of all his writings that were took down by his secretary. It's not a very well-written book, but he wrote a bunch of little books called, uh, there's like uh, this thing called You mm. and, um, uh, oh, the other one will come to me. He's a ton of little books, but, but um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's not religion. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual modality. Is it like power of now type stuff, like being in the moment, being present, you know, the secret? You talked a little bit when you were yeah. with Macy, some of that secrety stuff coming out. Yeah, new thought. Right. New thought wisdom is kind of this like people, you know, the cynical way of it would be calling it a new age. And then yeah. the and then cynical way would be called it like new thought wisdom. And it's basically like, you know, if you go to, um, I go to Agape or Ahaya, which is part of the CSL, which is uh, Centers for Spiritual Living living mm-hmm. which are all over the country is that like a church when you were describing another book i was trying to to imagine it because it sounded to me like when you went to go say i think it was reverend beckwith yeah with macy uh it sounded like a church in that there's like a service there's a reverend yeah and you sit there and it's a bit of a speech and there's some participation very much so is that what it's very like much. i mean every week or twice or something you go and there's a service yeah it's set up that way and part of the reason is because that's 
people are comfortable with it. Be more comfortable yeah. with that program, and and a lot of people come from those modalities and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not uh, technically a church, you know. Um, right, right. But it's uh, it gives you that community. It's a spiritual yeah. community, and I like what you said before that there's people outside of the recovery and addiction sphere um, that can really help an addict. And I always remind our listeners that. Dr. Silkworth, who wrote the doctor's opinion at the beginning of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Carl Jung, who heavily influenced the uh, creation and the program, neither of whom are uh, alcoholics or addicts. Yet, look how much they did for alcoholics and addicts and um, and how much we can learn outside of our our niche, let's say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an important point. So... um, So Agape was was founded by by Beck, Reverend Beckwith. Yeah, and I don't know a ton about him. I, I know he was, um, you know, friend of Oprah's. You know that that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Hey, but who, um, isn't, who isn't a friend? <laughs> Come on, we're all friends with Oprah. But I, I you know, so I, I I'm trying to like follow the thread through your book, and and I, and I guess it seems as though you know with this the phrase that that you mentioned in connection with this was you know um, what is it as you as you. Uh, it is done unto you as you believe it to be true, right? Which comes out of, I think, math, the Gospel of Matthew. It was Jesus talking to the centurion about healing the Matthew eight thirteen, as oh. it says in the notes. Right. Excellent. Quoting chapter and verse. We, we take some nice. shit about talking too much church. <laughs> We've been talking too much church, so let's you know, reel in the God stuff. Like, well, I, I don't know. I, I, hey. I, I think it's kind of it's important to, to get a, like a, a basis of where this comes from, you know. But, I mean, so, so essentially it's, it's the... The thing is, um, it's it's what's going on on the inside is is how you, is what's manifesting on the outside. Is that kind of a, a quick and dirty way of saying it, or is there a better yeah. way? Yeah, yeah. I think the important distinction is to is you know you it, it's kind of like what we just talked about. You know, the new age versus wisdom. There's there's these words that people describe it as like you know. I watched The Secret and I was like, oh my god, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, me this too. Is stupid. I ended up liking it, but yeah. and yet there's truth in there also. And uh, so I think, I mean, I, if, the way I explain this stuff, I think that no one could deny that there's some truth to it. I, I think it's just going through anything. You, you start out with something, you have less belief in it, you, you take the actions toward it, and then as you keep on going, your belief builds up more and more. Mm-hmm. You become more, more of one with whatever it is you're going towards. You know, just take an analogy like a sport. You mm-hmm. don't think you're going to... You can't break a hundred. You're not thinking about shooting par and it's impossible for a human to believe that they're going to shoot par the first time they do it. Mm -hmm, But if they continue to take actions that way, then their belief builds, their actions build, their belief builds and boom, boom, boom. And so it really is done as unto you as you believe it to be true. That's in the positive sense. And so this idea of, of like, you know, science of mind just being wishful thinking, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's a, negative way of saying it i would say it's more about um how you become what you believe mm. you know there's so there's action this, and belief reinforcing each other yeah like visualization that's the way i that's my the way i step into it you know yeah the way the way i see that like when we were when i was learning about the secret is I, i'm a visual person in other words like i have to like when we started this podcast just before I saw what it was going to be. Like I had a vision of it before we started. If I don't have a vision of something, I it just I won't do it. Like if I can't see myself 
succeeding at it, it won't ever happen. So it's yeah. kind of like that, being able to see what you want, but to really visualize it. Well, Nat and I have always acted as if we have, you know, 100,000 listeners a week. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, maybe it'll happen this way. And and actually, the the fact that you're sitting here is almost like, uh, it's almost like a a validation of that theory because, um, you know, we've been talking and and I I said to Nat, I said, you know, the the best way to manifest authors sitting in that chair would be to, um, to do a review of their book and then send it to them yeah, and, say, and hey. maybe they'll like it and then agree to come on the show. And, and here, here you are. You are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. As you believe it to be true. I mean, it's, and, and I think the, you know, the, the name of the book, I don't want to jump forward, but you know, that's the, like the negative part of this mm. thing. Well, Paul's speak, graph revelation, you know, speak to that a little bit. It's the uh, okay. like assumption or something. Yeah. Well, the Paul's graph revelation. So Paul's graph is just this, uh, famous case that uh, isn't, you know, every, every lawyer learns in law school and it's about foreseeability and stuff. And it just happens to do, to do with a dream I had that, that led me to this understanding. But the, really the, the important part of this is that I became a registered sex offender without committing a sex crime. Right. Right. Technically. I mean, I, I heard your analysis of it, which was spot on when you talked about how, uh, impossibility is not, not a, defense. a defense to an intent crime. And that's totally correct. And I understand why the DA charged me with burglary because the, the idea was the intent was designed before or the tent created before I broke into this place. Mm. I, I think it's pretty clear and the judge believed that I didn't have that intent. And even if I was so drunk out of my mind that maybe I probably couldn't even develop an intent, right. even that's a legal issue because you can't use mm-hmm. alcohol as a defense, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. I always say, if I would have been on acid that night, I wouldn't be sitting here, right? I would never have been charged with a crime in the first place or yeah. Coke or anything else other than alcohol. Right. Because people think alcohol is a normal thing and you know, they don't believe that it causes right. hallucinations and blackouts and stuff. That's Or it's so common or whatever. Yeah. But back to this point about the negativity is that I had so much shame about my sexual behaviors, uh, the porn, the prostitutes, the cheating, the lying constantly, that I had so much shame about it that I believe that I manifested this label, Mm. this registered sex offender label that I ended up with based on my own beliefs inside. It is done unto me as I believe it to be true. I Mm -hmm. believe that I I I was a bad person. I was shameful. So I was able to manifest being a registered sex offender, which is the ultimate absolute ultimate scarlet a in today's society yeah right? uh where people are looking at you going that there's nothing worse than being a registered sex offender in this society and so i manifested that without even committing a fucking sex crime <laughs> Jeez. which is the ultimate and powerful manifestation of course i did it to myself negatively but if but the part of this polygraph revelation was okay now that i've discovered this painful painful truth mm. now i can start to put it to work in positive ways. It's it's really interesting that you're saying this now, hearing you say this, because I was just listening to Paul's graph revelation to that part where you're getting in an argument with Macy about being a victim. Right. And like I have, and I was listening to that. And I'm like, man, I was there. And when you're having that, writing about the argument with her, um, I'm feeling, I'm like, want to defend you. Cause I'm like, that's me. I'm like, yes, he is a fucking victim. Like he didn't do it, you know, do, 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 do victim, victim, victim. It happened to me. You know what I mean? And so to hear you sort of like, you've obviously evolved past that, 
But, I mean, maybe speak to that a little bit. Like, they're always telling us, don't be a victim. You shouldn't be a victim. You manifested this, right? And she was kind of saying that to you, and that was pissing you off. Because I've had, you know, people in my life say, like, well, you know, you know, when I was complaining, like, I don't have a car. I have to go to probation. I'm being court-mandated, all this shit. And I'm like, it's not fair. You know, they did this to me. I didn't deserve this, right? But that doesn't help us, right? I mean, we should accept our part in, in whatever has happened to us. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, so, but that's how you feel about it. Now you're sort of like, you're not feeling like a victim anymore or, I mean, I don't know how you don't feel like a victim. Yeah. Like for me, I, I feel like you are, you know, I don't feel like it was fair, you know, not fair. <laughs> Who cares? Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's crazy the way I've come around on this, but, I, I accepted what happened, and, and to, to the extent I'm a victim, it, I put myself in the position to be victimized. I, right. I think the, when I look back on it, the hardest resentment for me to let go was the resentment against the DA yeah. because I felt that the DA went beyond what they should have done to seek justice. That For those non-lawyers out there, the, the duty of a DA is not to uh, defend their client at all costs like it is for a public defender or, or an attorney defending someone. The duty of the DA is to seek justice. I mean, she was the well, antagonist. That's, that's absurd, though. They, that's not the, what they do. <laughs> it's not what they do, but that's yeah. their duty. Right. And, and so, and a lot of politics come in, and a lot of funding comes into it, mm-hmm. too. And so, to that extent, I felt like I was a victim, but but uh, I don't feel that way anymore, and I don't have a resentment against her anymore. And you prayed for her, which was great. Yeah, that was... You finally brought yourself... <laughs> the hardest <laughs> Through resentment. gritted teeth at the beginning, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I used to pray... You know, my, my sponsor at the time told me, you know, I would, I would just go to him and be like, I am just burning with hatred, you know, yeah. for this woman. I would have fantasies about, uh, about yeah. you know, how I could get revenge against her, get her fired. And, and I famous. was too, reading. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this motherfucker. I actually Googled her. I'm like, is this woman still have a job? Like, I can't. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. We were going to pay her a visit. Be Did like, you guys catch me? the reference to her? You know, it's this... Uh, like the Cruella de Vil reference, yeah. you know, <laughs> a, a little on the nose. So yeah. Sorry about that. D A Via, yeah, she is the antagonist. She is the Darth Vader to your Luke Skywalker in, I think, in the book because in the Straight Pepper Diet, like yeah. she is your, you know, she's the one you're fighting. And I don't know, is that typical in in legal where you have a DA who sees something maybe in your case that upsets them personally, or they think of it as we really got to get a conviction here because I'm running for whatever. I think it's whatever advantage they can exploit. I mean, my, my first wife was a public defender and, uh, she, and all I heard all day long was how these shady DAs, you know, be hiding their exculpatory evidence. They'd be coercing their clients into taking deals they never should take. Or, you know, I, I mean, I've, I don't know. To, to me, it just seems like DA being a DA. Like that's what they yeah, do. I mean, exactly. You know. I'm not going to blame a but. pit full, a pit bull for biting, or that's not a good example because that's not true. Sorry, sorry. X that out. A shark for yeah, biting. Right. Um, well, I, I mean, I like what you said about it. You know, you said, uh, "I'll tell anyone who will listen. I know exactly what God's will is for me. It's whatever happens. How could it be anything I, else?" You just stole the words from my mouth. I really? literally was going to say that. I mean, I, people ask, "What's God's will?" You hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. God's will is what's happening. How could it be anything else? It's the most obvious thing to me. Uh, do we, even if you believe in a God that's up there making decisions like a human, do you think that that God is going, man, that is not what I wanted to happen. <laughs> like, right? You're God. You, you're in control. Like my God is, is not a God that's 
making decisions. My God is the what is. Right. Well, you know, really, I've you know, after twelve years of Catholic school and, and being raised, you know, with religion and everything, and then going off into the Eastern religions for years, and and sort of sort of rediscovering my Catholic roots. Now, I've realized that the only prayer that really what you can even articulate uh, is is they will be done because mm. anything beyond that is you know it's ridiculous. You can't petition the Lord. As Jim Morrison said you cannot petition yeah. the Lord with prayer. Like you know, I tell my Sunday school kids. I'm a Sunday school teacher, and um, I tell them I have the little kids, so we get into all of these interesting discussions, especially me and the other Sunday school teacher, because we're we're teaching like Adam and Eve, and I'm. We're looking at each other like the kid goes, oh, how does a snake talk? And I'm like, well, the snake doesn't talk. You know, this right. is all symbolism and it's not really because I'm not a fundamentalist. So I don't believe that it was actually a talking snake like that sort of thing. So it's interesting having these um, uh, these discussions with little kids these that are these big theological questions. Mm -hmm. But I always tell them, you know, when you're praying, you're not praying to Santa Claus. Right. But we say that in AA too. You, in the morning you ask for, I think, help. And uh, at night we ask for forgiveness or something along those lines. You just yeah. keep it very simple. You don't say, you know, dear God, I really want this new sports car. If you could just give that to me and make me famous, you know, you're asking Thy will be done. And just to help, this is what I do to help me, you know, cope and to manage what, you know, is your will, you know, and help me to be aware of it and to be a better supporter to myself and my family. Yeah. For prayer. Um, I, that's a lot of prayer talk. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time praying. It's good stuff. It is. So the, the events of Paul's graph to, ended in roughly like 2008 or so? Uh, 2010. 10. Um, yeah, I mixed up on the chronology. I, my... I, I did. I did. You're, you're... This is literally this hoodie. and it went Oh, down. that's from the rebar company. I'm seriously thinking about replacing it with one of those. Yeah. <laughs> get you as well. But uh, I've had this hoodie. This is the only thing I left from CMC. God knows my, my stock and, and uh, all that stuff's gone. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm sorry. I didn't say I meant CIM or whatever acronym I used. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that was not, that was not the real company in the, uh, in the book, I it's mean, it, changed to protect the not so I'm innocent. sure my my colleagues who read it figured it out. Yeah, yeah. you just yeah. didn't want to get sued. I so, so that sued. was that was an interesting story in and of itself. How you how you managed to obtain that position? Um, I mean, the story's in the book, but maybe give it give me like thirty seconds on that, or a couple minutes on that, like because I would imagine, as most listeners would 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 also imagine that as a, a two strike felon convicted sex offender, it's difficult to get a job in corporate. America, you would think, <laughs> but well, you managed to pull it off. So, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I, the story's in the book, but I don't care about giving away any details. Now, like you'll, you, everybody out there, you will enjoy listening or reading his books, yeah, no matter definitely. what. They're enjoyable. They're it's well written. It's funny. It's like there's a lot going on. Very good book. So he's not giving anything away that'll ruin the book. So I'm. You know, I'm struggling with getting a job and making a living, as one could imagine, being a disbarred two-strike felon, registered sex offender. Yeah, and like uh, star attorney, too. You were like... I mean, I wasn't a star attorney, but I, some would argue that I was headed towards, a good, start, <laughs> headed towards a good career as, yeah. as a trial lawyer. But um, so I get a call from my friend who's, a, who's a, uh, a defense lawyer. She's a total badass defense lawyer. In fact, she's one of the only named partners at a big uh, criminal defense lawyer mm. uh, firm in downtown L.A. now. Um. 
anyway, so uh, she calls me and her, her mom had worked at this company for many, many years out in Fontana. And it, it's, it was bought out by a giant steel company and which was traded on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, it's a giant company. And she says, hey, they got this position as a contract manager. You know, it's a good position, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you apply for it? And I, you know, I was pretty kind of pissed. I was like, why would you yeah. tell me this? This is ridiculous. But I also had this spiritual axiom in my head that, that Macy had said and also that I learned from AA and everything was just like, say yes, say yes, say yes, yeah. say yes. And if it's a no, it'll be revealed. Right. Say yes until you have so many yeses, you have to pick which ones choose from, right? And yeah. I certainly didn't have that many yeses at the time. So I went and applied for this job and I got the interview and they loved me. Why wouldn't they love me, right? I used to be a lawyer. I was, right. You were sharp. I was a, You're I was like, a I can surgeon applying for a nurse's position. Yeah, you can handle all their They were going to get quite a deal on you. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, but they hadn't looked. So I would always pitch this as a violent assault. Uh, a violent felony assault that I committed in a black. Room, it right? sucks. You have to pitch it at all. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> like, I'm that's the pitch. Like you're like, uh, oh man, I know. it was just a murder. Don't yeah, worry yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. No. It was not, uh, wasn't going to rape him. Just kill him. <laughs> yeah. Come on. God. Oh man. It's so uh, hilarious. In a not, <laughs> hilarious in that not kind of funny way. Probably looks better in hindsight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah definitely. So I go and interview, you know, uh, for this position and the thing is, is they, they go to hire me and um, they do the criminal background check. Yeah. But I say to them, I'm like, hey, I already told you everything. Like, how could it be any worse? I have to get this. I can't accept this job because I I'm in the entertainment industry. And part of the entertainment industry is you have to say yes. And if you say no to all these jobs that you already have lined up, you're going to kill my, right. my career. So just give me a, a firm offer. You already know everything about me. And I got them to do that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I remember reading that part. So then they come back and they go, "Whoa, wait a second. The fucking <laughs> criminal background check came back, and they're like, "We don't remember the, this stuff." And I said, "No, no, no, no. Wait a second. And so I had written a conf confirmation email for all you lawyers out there. Confirmation emails are key. That was brilliant. Uh, that basically said, you know, I'm I've admitted that I was a felony, blah blah yeah, blah, yeah. and all this stuff. And so they were locked in. And the thing was, they didn't have very good communication with their with their uh, the head company in Dallas mm -hmm. and they were the star branch in California. Yep. We're probably the most profitable branch in the whole world. And so they had basically hired me without following the protocols. Right. So it was kind of this intercompany secret. Yeah. Yeah. Which was awesome. Cause I got this job and they loved me and I, you know, I worked hard and I liked the job, but in the end it turned out not being that great because, because it basically meant once they did find out and they did find out that I was, cut off i was never going to climb anywhere in that company because, right you know, mm. yeah it was what it was one of those things you know we've all worked for larry too so. oh yeah. God. <laughs> reading about larry um yeah there, there's some funny stories about uh, joseph's uh, co-workers um but you know i i've had that i mean not to that level but because of my dwi uh which i i got six years ago so i mean just thinking of that that's always hanging over me like when I, uh, in the pandemic, I finished my college degree. I, I went to college for 25 years, just to give you an idea of how long it took me to finish school. Like I just <laughs> finished college during the pandemic. Oh, congrats. Um, that's another long story. Maybe I'll tell it on Annie Grace's show. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's always in the back of my mind that they're going to find out. And even if it's not the, the DWI, 
what if they find out that I don't drink? And I'm always worried that I'm going to have to explain something about my personal life professionally in order to get to the next step. And I always have that kind of anxiety. So when you are writing about it, worrying, like this new company buys the company you were already hired for, the guys you work for knew about your past, and now there's a corporate takeover, and now they've got to approve you, right? Or something like that. Wasn't it like there was a new, like the corporate office had to then approve, even though you Basically, were already yeah. hired. Yeah. And But just that feeling, that anxiety of like, they're going to find me out. Well, or the anxiety of having to go gonna, in and create a uh, PowerPoint uh, yeah. and basically convince them that the, the thing you were charged with is not how it reads on paper yeah, like, is, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I would have made that extra step, but I guess if you're facing you know, eviction and there's not a lot of money left in your bank account, you'll do yeah. whatever it takes. Right? I mean, it was a good job too. I mean, yeah. you know, it wasn't as much as I was making before, but I think at the time I was making like 80 grand and it was a yeah. corporate job and they were killing it. I mean, I think their stock went from $15 to $40 in a year and a half or something. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. Those were the good times before the financial oh, crash. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, we're free gym membership and dinners all the time and golf i mean that's why i got into golf you know, yeah, yeah. corporate events constantly and i think you really nailed and the, i loved uh, it i love that i i've never really had a job that it made I me want to work in rebar yeah like, you <laughs> know what's so funny is i come back here i write i don't know if i write about this in the book or not but my, my favorite job i ever had is working in a sporting goods store i, I was I loved just it. reading you, that you did you did write about it uh, yeah. I and how old were you it. was that a teenager my job very first job so my is very this first job this is like returning to your roots here yeah in the back of his i know mine's I mean, very small but i the guy that was the a manager of the sporting goods store i work for pratt sporting good i think i could say i don't even think they're in business anymore mm. but he's now one of the top dogs at nike no kidding, no kidding. yeah so maybe someday I could be I a mean, top dog at Nike. Like yeah. when I say top dog pivot. at Nike, I mean, yeah, yeah. Just pivot. Get I would like, I should get out of retail and go. go you're you're a thought man. Yeah, you know, I can, I can think about yeah. it. Um, you know, this is all coming back. You know, one thing I was thinking about when we were, I was brainstorming this interview. What am I going to say to this guy? You know, because um, there's so much to say. There's so much material, and there's so much that you could speak to. One of the things that stood out to me was and you, you talk about this in the book, the permanent nature of your convictions. I mean, you, and you say this, um, you make a comment that uh, you felt like a permanent enemy of the United States, that these designations, you have been marked for life, and how unfair that really is. And it sort of makes us maybe rethink the way that, you know, we're, we're punishing people, and like clearly... I mean, I don't know who deserves what, but I really don't think that this is helpful to society to have you branded this way. I mean, in all of it, too, uh, with the bar thing and, you know, so, like, you must be a spiritual giant to be able to, like, manage this internally and move wait, wait, forward. Yeah. Is my wife... Can you bring her in? Can you bring her in? Is he a spiritual giant? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's walking. She didn't want to stick around. Like, you know, how did you, how have you come to terms with, it's just like, I don't, I know I would have a, a hell of a hard time, you know, because you've got to find a new way around, you know, everything you carved out of your, to your life, like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to, you know, even having relationships now you're dealing with um, like your girlfriend has a child and now that the ex-husband is like, I don't want this guy around my kid, you know, and just to deal with that, like, how do you, how have you moved on from that? And like, it's a, is it all just acceptance and like, 
Like, what? How do you do that? Well, let me give you it's a, a magic trick. Well, let me give you a concrete example that I've kind of come to grips with recently. One is when I first got sober, I, well, before I got sober and I had kind of made it as a lawyer and I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't going to be in poverty. I always wanted to give back to the boys club. I always wanted to volunteer there because when I was a kid, that's one of the ways I survived was by going to the boys club during uh, the summer. They would feed me when the school wasn't feeding me. Mm. And so, um, you know, when you're a registered sex offender, there's no way around it. Like you're, my involvement with any type of volunteer organization is going to possibly harm them, right? Mm -hmm. I could be the best guy in the world. The manager of the boys club could think I'm the best guy in the world. But if I go there and some parent says, hey, this guy's a registered sex offender and it gets out, it could harm them. And that was very painful to me, yeah. but I had to accept it because that's just reality. There's no way around that, right? The, yeah. All the letters in the world saying I'm a great guy are not going to change how some uh, knee-jerk reaction is going to occur. So right. I would really pound the pavement. I'm a victim. I'm a victim on that. Yeah. And I, I, I did find, I did some homeless, uh, I did some uh, service work at a homeless shelter in downtown LA when I had an office down there. And, you know, this is in sobriety. And that was in our area where I, I could do some work and I didn't get yeah. have any problems right. because of the nature of that work. But what I found recently is that the, the, the world... The, the God, right? It is what it is. Um, yeah. Things are, I know what God's will is because it's what's happening is where I am best of service is right where I am. And that is being of service to other alcoholics. Mm. That's where my skills lie. Not right. Not, that's where I'm supposed to be because that's where I am. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be at the boys club teaching kids how to dribble. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be having guys come over to my house, sitting at the kitchen table and going through the big book and trying to give them some experience, strength, and hope so that they can get their lives back on track and overcome addiction. And that's what I do. And so I'm no longer thinking about, you know, I can give money to the boys club. I, I, you know, I can do it that way, yeah. but that's no longer, I don't get sad. I, you know, I had the same thing. I was in, La, I was in Los Angeles and uh, I lived on the East side and there's this really cool writing program for kids and i thought oh man i could volunteer there right same mm. thing right yeah. i got two books i can get through this but mm -hmm. I, I could hurt the organization yeah, yeah. and that's I don't so hurt the organization. unfortunate you know? but it's not it's cool i i'm where i am and i'm here with you guys right right well, you guys yeah. are, you're helping people so by sitting here talking maybe someone to reads my book the audience yeah. you know the straight rubber diet has been read by well i don't know how many people read it but i know how people bought it <laughs> i think i sold over fifteen thousand. wow that's great i don't know how many with paul's graph less but but you know, it's, it's out there and your message is, is well taken and it's, it serves as, you know, anytime you think you've got it bad. Like if I was thinking, you know, like look what Joseph did with his, you know, life and how he took something that could have destroyed any one of those things may have destroyed me, you know, but you really took it and you're doing something really great with your life. And, um, I'm mm -hmm. glad that you brought up your sponsees because one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, because we, we discuss all the time 12-step and, you know, is it something that we, we like? Is it something we support? And, you know, because uh, Mike and I have differing opinions on it and differing experiences. But I wondered if you could talk about how, like, tw what is 12-step and sponsoring other guys? And you talked about this already, but, like, how is that, like, working for you? I mean, how often are you going to meetings? How, like, how how ensconced in the community are you now? And, like, even with the pandemic like what how is that going 
I have, um, I currently have three sponsees. That's pretty standard. Uh, right now they're all very active. One of them was this dude from DC who read my book and I've never met him in person and we do everything through zoom. No kidding. I took no. him through the entire steps, which for me is a very exhaustive Oh, yes. Yeah. It takes probably. And you're going through it too. When you, when you do steps with a sponsee, yeah, yeah. this is what most people don't think about, but like you're working those steps with your sponsee. So yeah, yeah. that's helping you. You know, it's a lot of time and, um, you know, it takes a while. That's not how it was done in the early days. I know there'd be some big book thumpers out there. You know, mm -hmm. it's true. Like they went through the they steps. They do it in a day. Do it after day. Day. Sure. You know, they always say but Bill Wilson did, went through the steps. Like, you know, would take people through the steps right away. But yeah. Some documents are meant to evolve. You, you, all your constitutional scholars out there. <laughs> uh, maybe the second amendment. Do we need some amendments? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Do we need some amendments on the, uh, on the big book? <laughs> um, you know, Wow, just like I love sponsorship is one of the great gifts. I listen to one of your guys' podcasts, and I'm so in, I'm so involved in AA, and I'm such a I've had such positive experiences. Does it drive it kind you of, nuts when you hear? Mike <laughs> no, no. Talk I shit? hope I don't. Uh, you know, no. talk disturbing people. No, it it uh, it it it's eye opening because I, I I didn't even know that that uh, AA had ever been sued. I'm, I mean, of course they have. They're one of the largest organizations in the country. Right, of course right. they've been sued, right? But I never thought about or anything or the negative we have had some negative situations in la i mean literally what is there Ten thousand meetings a day or oh, some yeah. insane amount and it's of meetings not a day centrally, of course you're have right there's no central controlling authority yeah. too you're, well, you're, i think we did the episode on the 13th step and a lot of women have had some real problems right. and, and we've know. had meetings where we have rewritten our formats to protect women mm -hmm. or it doesn't have to be women for anybody who is feeling uncomfortable and we have you know places where uh people that want to be walked to their car and yeah. you know there's definitely that but it's very very rare and minor from my experience but anyways getting back to sponsorship you know like right now i sponsor three different guys they're at different levels of their sobriety i take them through the steps i'm not a guy that thinks you need to be in the steps constantly mm -hmm. as far as like going through the steps over and over and over again right. so they do the steps once you know and and uh like so i have one guy who calls me every single day I have another guy who once a week, I have a guy who comes over and we're doing the steps. You know, I always think of kitchen tables. I love mm -hmm. kitchen tables. Mm -hmm. Like when I got sober, this dude, a friend of uh, Bob Forrest, you know, mm -hmm. who was this dude who was some Hollywood writer guy. And he, like, I was at this dude's kitchen table and I was just thinking like, this is crazy. Like yeah. this guy who doesn't know me, he does know that I'm a fucking, I just got charged with attempted murder. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, but I got the nod from Bob Forrest and I'm over here at this dude's, uh, beautiful house in Silver Lake at his kitchen table going through the big book. Right. And it's amazing. It, it, and it was it like, is. I always say when somebody, and this may not be true for everybody, but my experience is like the biggest knucklehead in the world. When you put them in the position of being a sponsor and they crack open that book, it's almost like it, this this sense of like reverence or this sense of responsibility it's like mm. suddenly like a judge it's like when people go into court right. like everyone's on their best behavior and stuff yep. and you know i found that people take it very seriously mm. and um uh i love i love that part of it although i do see you know uh there could be issues with it but my experience has been wonderful and i and i 
I know the whole thing of like, oh, I'm getting more out of this than you are. Yeah, yeah, we, they always say yeah. that. I don't know about that. Right. But I do know that being of service is the greatest, is a great gift, and it's where I find that I'm good at what I'm doing. Yeah, and because, it's a great and I don't sponsor like other guys. I'm not one of these guys who's like, you're a hope to die drug addict and you're fucked unless you get on your knees. Why don't you no, go no, back no, no, out no, there no, and no. drink? You I know, have a gift. Of, I mean, that doesn't seem particularly effective. No. Does it? I mean, well, we're not dealing with people who, but you know, I missed, I romanticized too. Cause I, I did it, spent a lot of time in AA. Um, I was very, very involved after the pandemic. It just, everything kind of, I did different things for my program and now I'm comfortable yeah. with the program I'm working now. But when I think back on those kitchen tables and it's just like, it's a very romantic idea and it is like that. You know, where they're these complete strangers who, like, you feel like they care about you and then you care about them and, you know, only because you're united, you know, just like in the big book, you know, we're like, you know, people escaping, you know, the, a cruise liner that was sinking and we, you know, from ship to captain's table or whatever, right? you know, all of us together surviving this disaster and that feeling of camaraderie. Um, but it is like, like uh, Mike is pointing out, and like we pointed on the shows, it's also important to make sure people know that, you know, it can be unsafe and you have to be wary of these people who are sort of controlling, you know, your recovery when it's, when it's great, it is great like that. And, um, and, you know, we did a a show about, we had a, an idea for doing tandem sponsorship because that's kind of like what Mike and I do. Is we're we're like, sponsor each other. Right. We're like a workout team. It could be the blind leading the blind or it could be, you know, the best of, you know, yeah. of each one of us going like, back and forth. You know, like you know. workout buddies, um, but for recovery. So we sort of have like this e- equality dynamic where we're there to just like the sponsor, but neither one of us is like a father figure, so to right. speak. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we looking at other, you know, program materials to sort of, do we study those and we do the show and we're discussing it, but we're doing it together. So it's a little different angle. I mean, I think it's... it's I think it works. I don't know if it's just my innate distrust of hierarchies that maybe. makes it more appealing than a traditional sponsorship model. But um, I don't know. I certainly believe that a lot of people like like you who yeah, have... Look how much he's getting in, out of it. In the, ...in the program... Um, are, are very story. good at what you what you do with sponsorship with people. But I don't, I don't know how that translates to everybody else in the program doing that. You know, I mean, were you, yeah, were you, you sponsoring know. people from the very beginning? Like, when did you first get into that? Well, when I was in rehab, the owner of the rehab uh, assigned me a um, guy who was in law school that was a friend of the family, some really rich kid that uh, was a friend of the family who owned the, um, the rehab. Oh, and wow. And he was in... He was in there. He got and, into the uh, family business, yeah. just not the way he thought. <laughs> yeah. And um, came in through the back door, as yeah. it were. Yeah. So uh, from from the very beginning, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's an it's a very unique thing. I I've, I just love it because I I find myself as a I'm I'm a cheerleader. Like mm-hmm. I, I sometimes I'll get sponsees and they'll drop away because I don't fit with them, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm the cheerleader, dude. Like I see people and I'm just like, oh you're amazing. Like you're amazing. I've never met anybody who I don't think is amazing. Right. Like these guys all have something amazing about them and they just need to see it. And yeah, you know, beyond these lives, they go on. I mean, I have, I have guys that are like, like literally I have a guy who was like, who's a fucking Hollywood mogul now. Yeah. And like, and they think they're pieces of shit or something or, I mean, and it takes you and I'm the same way. 
like when people do reach out for help or if I'm in a position where someone is coming to me with something, I do the same thing. I just try and be supportive, try and point out where they're good and the things that are great and, you know, try and You have to point out that the person that they are when they're drinking, they're not the sum of their worst acts. Right. You know, but that's hard for you to see from the inside. Yeah. 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 So the mentorship is, is a huge part of it. One, yeah. one thing that I like to tell them is this is from a, this is a whole different angle that you won't, don't hear from many people, but I always like to say like, imagine you when you were fucked up and drinking and you're at work and you're trying to get ahead competing against you now. Yeah. Right. You are fucked. Oh, right. Like I would kill the old me. <laughs> I get up early. I am prepared. Yeah. I do yeah. what I say I'm going to do. I care about everybody and it's not bullshit. It's sincere. If the old Joseph was competing with the new Joseph, he would get trampled upon. Yeah. So wow. none of this bullshit like, hey, oh, you're an addict. You're fucked. You can get along in society. No, 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 no. no. We're fucking warriors. Yeah. We'll go out there and kick ass. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So that I like so to put true. it, I like to, Put the positive on it's it. It's just that is, that is great. It. I mean, that's sort of t- lack of power was our dilemma. Was was past tense. Right. right. Yeah, I'm a believer in that because you hear a lot of that sometimes in recovery. It's people saying it's every day is a struggle. I'm powerless over it, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Was you got to right? change? You got to flip it around so that yeah. the, the 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 state of you when you were like that, or you know, the state of or craving is is the opposite, right? I mean, the I look at. I look at drinking now and I, I, and I have no desire whatsoever because that would just lead me back to the me that I am not anymore. You know, why would I ever yeah. want to do that? I, I yeah. see, I don't see like not being able to drink as a state of uh, deprivation. It's like a state of abundance. It took me a know? while to exactly. get there yeah. though. There was a, a period of time early on when, you know, because I, I had the unfortunate scenario of having to get clean for the law. Mm. Right. Um, And so even though prior to that, I had been flirting with the idea, you know, I was a really bad uh, cocaine addict before all of this happened, (laughs) before it was out. Like there was a period of time when I was living that double life and my family didn't really know yet. And then there was that moment where things got so bad, I finally had to come out with it and Mm. say, I need help. But it was another couple of years from that point of trying to get clean different ways before I got a DWI and then was finally forced into a situation where I had to get clean because the terms of probation. Now you, you also had a DWI and I was listening to your, the part where you were describing the, um, the th- it really hit home for me when you describe sitting in probation, I think it was waiting. Oh yeah. This really got me, man, because I was there literally at probation and the feeling you get, you're sitting there and you're like, why is it taking so long? And what are they doing? Are, are they going to put me in handcuffs? Like, just the thoughts that go through your head while you're waiting for these people who have ultimate power over you. Yeah. And then you speak about this a lot on how, how like, you just don't know. You're afraid because of, they can do anything they want. And, and you have these dialogues in your mind, you know, these uh, capture narratives mm-hmm. where you start imagining What's uh, going to happen, right? right? And you were talking about I, that. Yeah, because that, that was kind of a thread through, you know, most of Paul's graph was like every time you'd see a cop on the street, every time yeah. you'd, you know, be in a, in a situation that uh, you could potentially be stopped by the police, like that whole inner dialogue 
that you would articulate about, you know, you were playing, you were like future tripping and playing that tape yeah. to the end where you yeah. ended up in prison all the time. And I, I mean, walking around with that in your head must be uh, unimaginably difficult. But I mean, yeah, I do that all tough. the time. I, I lived that. And uh, so reading that on top of that, the whole process that you have to go through uh, when you're dealing with, you know, the whole thing, let's say prison guards, lawyers, judges, um, people in recovery, clinicians, and while you're going through that, and probation officers, parole officers. The bar. Go, yeah, the bar. The bar going through all of that, and you describe their eyes, the guards' eyes, the people sitting across from the table, and you said something like, some of them, it's um, just blank. Like, they don't even see you. Yeah. You're just not even, you're subhuman, yeah. right? And if it's not blank, it's... Hostile. Like hostility, you know, and the, the rare time, and I forget who you were speaking to, who you felt like that they were actually seeing you, but you, you, you comment about how it's like amazing to you when you're in that state, when you finally see someone who does see you as a person. I mean, like speak to that, uh, the dehumanizing effect of just being in the system and in like the breathalyzer. I mean, I did that same thing with the car. You're driving along and you've got to blow that thing. And if it goes wrong or something, you're going to jail, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, maybe speak to that a little bit. The anxiety of, you know, all that worry and the future tripping and that you're going to be thrown in jail because, you know, even though you didn't do anything at that point, you know, like you're always on pins and needles. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's exactly what you described. Yeah. You, you I think part of it is because I didn't, I wasn't living a criminal lifestyle in the, I guess I was, but. <laughs> in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't have the mindset. Not, not I, overtly. I, basically what, what it was is when you, both of the times I was arrested when I had my DUI and then two years later when I had the assault, both of them were because I was in a blackout. And so it almost feels like you're like, it could happen without you knowing, like you could, you don't, you didn't do something like I didn't go, I'm going to go break into that store and steal some Nikes. Yeah. Right. And then I got arrested where that would be like, okay, you got caught. Mm -hmm. This was more like you drank. And the next thing you know, you drank too much. And next thing you know, you're in jail. Right. And this idea of like, suddenly, obviously it's not logical, but the brain isn't logical, right? It's right. It has the subconscious that has these fears. And so it was like something could happen out of nowhere and I could be back in hell. Right. Something could happen out of nowhere and I could be back in hell. Because I never decided to do anything I did. I The only decision I made was to drink another drink. Right. And then to drink another drink. And eventually I don't even remember making those decisions. Right. right. You know, that's the, that's the thing. You know, when we talk about, like I, I brought up that control and enjoy. Like that's a really important thing, I think, for people out there listening and you're deciding whether you're having a problem with addiction. It's not just whether you... It's not whether you are going to continue to be drinking every single t constantly. It's whether you can control and enjoy your drinking. Are you are you yeah. white knuckling it the whole time? Mm. Yeah. It, when you are controlling it, it's a know? good way of thinking about it. It's, and right now, a lot of people I'm seeing in the recovery world uh, are talking harm reduction a lot more. Are talking moderation. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I was just talking to someone uh, in an online recovery community who admitted to me that they were um, drinking in moderation. 
uh, and this was like a new thing. What does that look like exactly? I don't know. I didn't press it, and um, it looks I, like a, a beer commercial, right? She's <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just about, and it's about as realistic, right? It's, just, yeah. it's interesting, and she's such a lovely person, and um, I we worked together a little bit on uh, on some marketing stuff, but uh, it just made me think, like, because for a while I've been seeing this California sober thing, and you're from California, so this is all your fault. Um, <laughs> we have a California sober thing where people are saying, you know, I'm just going to smoke a little weed. I'm just doing it to go to sleep. But it's also they're saying like this drinking, you know, that was one of the well, when, bridges uh, too far. I yeah. Think. I mean, California sober, you want to smoke a little weed. Weed's not your drug of choice. I mean, uh, okay, not for me, but maybe, maybe you don't you know, spend all your days ripping bong hits, you know, you just take a little, you go to bed. But when you start introducing like a couple of drinks in there, yeah. you know, then it, 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 it know. seems like a slippery slope to me. It feel like seems like ill-advised. Um, are you seeing that in California, this California? Is this sweeping I have, the, the only the experience I have with that is I have a friend who's in the, the marijuana program, which is kind of getting popular, right. as you can imagine. Yeah. And, uh, she is having a hard time finding a sponsor because she still drinks. Mm, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. I mean, you know, we just assume that in um, the alcohol program that you don't do other drugs. Right. And in Narcotics Anonymous, they brilliantly say in their preamble, uh, alcohol is a drug, period. Mm, yeah. Which I think is one of the greatest things. They and can it's do. accurate. That's yeah. one thing I love about uh, narcotics anonymous society treating um, those things differently is a huge problem it's a huge, huge problem. problem and it's just about labeling and tradition but biologically and, money. and chemically and money yeah and chemically you know and speaking of money i just want to get this out there you know i think my new book the novel that i'm going to write is is kind of on this theme it's like we live this is we live in a capitalist country mm-hmm. and Capitalism and addiction are synonyms in my book. Mm-hmm. So I, I have yet to meet somebody who doesn't have some addictive qualities. It's baked into the system. Sure. Now, whether you're, whether it's destroying you or not is another story. But, you know, if you, I don't, I know very few people who aren't addicted to salt, yeah. sugar, yeah. oil. That's just baked into the food system. Caffeine, uh, porn, social media. I mean, yeah consumption of some variety right i mean it's built into our it's built into our political framework i'm not saying it's good or bad it just is it it is is. and that's what dopamine nation the book we just covered i mean i think that brought a lot of it to light that it's a whole society kind of that revolving around dopamine spikes right you know you get that paycheck dopamine spike you get a like on your facebook felt felt good you know like amazon amazon Feeling right. great, you know, and it. I like to constant. scroll to my Instagram yeah. and see mm-hmm. those hearts. Oh, all sure. That number. Yeah. yeah. 20. You but know, is like, there really? Oh. But it is, it is Maybe a that's little, human there is nature. a little chemical reaction that you get every time you see that like, every yeah. time, you, time you see that heart. But I don't think you can get away from that, don't you think? Is there any society, even these like jungle societies that are still like, they have their own well, dopamine Well, because stuff. dopamine is built they're into doing the ayahuasca. human, they're built into the human system to reward right. food seeking behavior, to reward procreation. Right. I mean, it's part, it has to be part of your, your yeah. biology. Right. The problem is we've skewed it in a capitalist society. We've made it, uh, uh, we've exploited the dopamine system to the point where now we use it to um, to make money, yeah. really. I no, mean, you know, drug sales, uh, beer sales, patio furniture, whatever it is, you know. It's well, just... I'm a big fan of the American trial system, right? <laughs> really? The trial lawyer system. Okay. Uh, mm. the, the 
trying of cases by a judge and jury and lawyers. And I say it this way. It's like capitalism has gotten to the point where it would be like this. Imagine if the lawyers were allowed to pay the jury and judges <laughs> uh, for their services. That is where we've got to. Uh, capitalism is supposed to be fettered. There is no such thing as capitalism, unfortunately, is not a natural occurring event. No. It is designed, some would argue elsewhere. Uh, some otherwise, is, rather. But. Right. Some would, and they'd be wrong. Yes. But it is a designed thing, and we have to have, uh, we have, to have restrictions on it. it we yeah. can't just let it go unfettered, which is... So I don't want to get into a whole thing about So it. not a libertarian then. I want to get into a thing about in Citizens United, but, but <laughs> I think that is where, you know, that as it relates to this well, particular podcast, I'm just saying that, that addicts, we are all, there's very few among us that aren't addicted to something. So, uh, so yeah. you are, you are writing another book? Yes. 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 We were just talking about yeah. that. Like the third I was book. wondering if you were doing a part three to this because that ended it, your your false graph ended in 2010 and there's been some real estate between 2010 yeah. and today we got to catch up so what have you been doing this I, whole time unless you want to uh hear about my golf game and my my <laughs> theories on uh on investing yeah. stock investing it's going to be mm, kind of boring that might be interesting well, i was going to suggest the novel i we can't wait for that yeah i was going to suggest this would be a great time to check on Teresa, yeah, let's oh, and let's to take a little take break. A bathroom break, and we'll be right back after these words. Questions, and, and we're <laughs> back, and we're back. So I got a question. Um, you know, in the second half of Paul's graph, you really get into the into golf, right? And um, you know, again, back in this whole whole theory of like channeling addictive behavior into other areas. You know, for me, you know, when I stopped, I mean, I've, I'd always been a runner, but when I Stop drinking. I really got into running, and you, you tend to see this a, a lot in um, ultra marathoners and so on. There's so many people in that community are ex addicts or alcoholics, and I'm not sure what the reason is behind that. I mean, maybe it's a dopamine thing, maybe it's an endorphin thing, but you know, I don't know with golf like what the what the relationship between golf and endorphins is. But it certainly seems like you had a a, a, a steep hill to climb when you first started at, at the game to getting good at it. And it, and it occupies a lot of the book. Uh, you know, what is your, what is your feeling between the relationship of like, how did golf help you evolve, you know, in recovery? Well, it was, it was definitely something to put myself into. I've always wanted to be great at something, you know, and law was off the table. Right, <laughs> so, right. so, uh, and you know, I, I just, I like golf because it's a, it's objective. Like you can objectively measure how good you are. Like with a writer, I can be like, well, that person sold a billion books, but they suck at writing right. or they didn't sell any, but they're great. It's not objective. Yeah. But with golf, it's subjective. That ball went that far. That <laughs> score is that score. You're playing the course. Yeah. The ball doesn't care yeah. what color you are, what religion you are, how old you are, whatever. All it cares is about the forces you put on it. But also it was kind of like, I, you know, I, I just was a mess. And so I would go on the golf course and I could act like an idiot, mm. uh, especially when I was by myself. Um, I'd play a lot of twilight golf by myself and I could just be angry and, and just put right. all my anger into it. And I mean, I was just, oh, Jesus Yeah, Christ. you write about the your frustrations you and had. I, and yeah. I think I would channel a lot, a lot into that. Now that I've gotten to the point of where I am, I've been playing golf for 13 years now. Mm. Like, you know, I play probably as much as like a college golfer plays. Like mm -hmm. I'm very, very, very serious about it. And, um, been an incredible journey you know but uh i'm getting to the point now where i'm you know like i i'm 
I wouldn't say I'm an elite amateur, but I'm I'm an amateur that can play in open divisions, which is oh wow. So I know that from tennis when they say open division, it's yeah, like it's the top. just like tennis. Like um, I when I was a tennis player, I never was good enough. I could play A, I think. Oh, wow. I don't think I ever was good enough to play an open division. Yeah, A's mm-hmm. really good. But I play in the open division senior. I'm 50 now, so I can play in the senior. I will probably qualify if I get my handicap down a couple more. I could probably play in, wow. the, uh, in the open. But, yeah, it's been great. I, I'm really into mastery uh, study. Like, I, I think I recommended that book, Peak, by yeah. uh, Anders Ericsson, which is kind of, I, I find it related to 12 Steps somehow or spirituality somehow, mm. the study of mastery. And I think golf is this area where you can just pour yourself into. How important is it to find something like golf? Because I completely relate to diving into something that's so endlessly, like you can always get better. I do this with chess. Chess is something that I have, wow. I'm have. i forever studying. I'm, I'm getting back into it now because my um, my compulsions are cyclical. Like So I'll get into <laughs> one thing super, like I'll get into making a podcast for a year and then I won't want to do it anymore, and then I'll start playing chess. Because you need to have that something, right? I got for me, have, like yeah. photography, I started getting into like, really thing. deep into like bird photography and stuff. Uh, but it, but it is it is an issue of mastery, isn't it? I mean, you know, to to be to be good at something because you have all this energy flying around when you stop, yeah, you know, drinking or stop doing drugs and and time, you know, yeah. But what do you do with it? You know, how do you focus it? You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, I used to be very cyclical about the stuff that I did too. Yeah. And uh, I, I've, I'm not, and that was one of my declarations to myself with golf was I, I had to do two things. One was not quit no matter what. And one, I couldn't do it on my own. Those are kind of both things that I picked up from 12 mm. step type of you know, yeah. spirituality. And you know, it's anything that you do that much for that long, yeah. you're going to have burnout times. And I just don't, I refuse to, burnout like that's how I think overcoming that burnout is probably the most difficult thing about anything like that right like, yeah because mm-hmm. I can't believe that I've been doing this for first of all I can't believe I've been doing anything for 13 years and I still kind of <laughs> suck at it right. like I know the same way with I chess am, I'm like why do I still I, suck man I'm cocky I'm all I've always been cocky it's probably been from a I don't know I probably used that to overcome things when I was younger yeah but I would set myself up to sticking your chin out. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I can, this. I can do anything. I can mm-hmm. write a book if I want to. Why, why wouldn't I be able to write a book? Yeah. You asked him one of your questions, like, did you think you'd be able to publish? Like, yeah, right. I thought I was going to be able to publish the book before I started writing the book mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm cocky. Yeah. But with golf, boy, golf, the golf gods do not reward cockiness. They do not. They, I've been doing this for 13 <laughs> years religiously. And it wasn't till recently that I got below a seven handicap. And, uh, but I just refused to quit. So for those of us who don't understand golf, what does it mean to have a the, a handicap? Like I never understood that when I hear golfers talk about, oh, I'm a I'm a handicap. Like what does that actually mean practically? Uh, the handicap system allows golfers of different skills to compete against each other. So for instance, like you and I could play and say you're a, a two handicap and I'm a seven handicap, then you give me I give you strokes on certain holes so that it evens everything out. Mm. It would be like if a tennis player who was an open division player could play a C division somehow by adjusting the, net, the scoring. Like imagine if the net like adjusted things where the ball slowed down for you and sped up for the other. Gotcha. Team, right? it's, so not, it's a cool it's not, system. It's not starting at the ladies' tee, <laughs> <laughs> which I have which I have done. I, I uh, liked I liked golf the few times I played it. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, the the book and writing the book. I think you said it was Paul's graph written when the pandemic started. 
No, the, the we recorded the audible. The, okay, so that's because my wife says, actually engineered the audible in our house. In, oh during no, kidding! The, during the pandemic, I mean, it yeah. sounds good. Um, that's a that's a good line of questioning, though, because like how I mean, some of the uh, anecdotes that you relay in the book are the, the level of detail is really in, incredible. Like, have had you been envisioning that these you were going to write a book someday, and you were jotting you jotting stuff down or keeping you know records, or do you just have a naturally good memory. I have a, a decent memory for details. And I also take a, I've, I have a thing, a, I don't know, six by five shelf full of journals that are filled up. Oh, no oh, okay. 15 years. Go. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, someone told me like you, when you write, there's a lot of writers and when you're in LA, you can throw a stone and hit a writer. <laughs> right? Usually waiting on your table and, <laughs> Um, Chip a golf ball and you'll hit, a, you'll hit a, a good writer. But they, you know, one thing is you got to find your voice. And uh, I, I, that's who I am. Like, I love detail. I've always been that way. I love detail. When I, I mean, something that's boring to other people, like, maybe is fascinating to me. Like, when I was a lawyer, one of the reasons I think I was successful with certain clients was because I honestly wanted to know their businesses. I was like, mm. take me to your business. Show me what you do. Right. Just I like Bill know. Wilson. When he was being a stockbroker right. and he drove out, he said... The first stock analyst, supposedly. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. Just like Bill Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In many ways. Uh, <laughs> Without the acid. Yeah. <laughs> it was Belladonna um, at first, but acid later. The other thing, too, when I wrote my book, I had a couple people in, in the program who were uh, writers who had written memoirs, and they weren't good. And the reason they weren't good was because they made the mistake of thinking that a radical set of facts is enough to carry a book. Right. And I took that and really ran with that lesson of like, that is not enough. You mm -hmm. have to expose the reader to your heart and your feelings and your thinking. Yeah. You but cannot just tell them that this radical set of facts, there's nothing radical left to tell that people are shocked by or that's interesting enough to carry an entire memoir. It might carry a one 30 minute series on Netflix or something, but it's not going to carry a 400 page memoir. No. And you uh, did you that. Know, like, are, and you had no training. I mean, as a, you know, going to law school, I mean, you're typing and writing and stuff, but it, I mean, how much of that, I mean, of course, if it's, you had an editor and that sort of thing, but I imagine that that was really all you. I mean, how did you develop that skill? It's it's not something that people do naturally, typically. Certainly yeah. a level of radical honesty that, you know, yeah. even, I, I mean, we've read a lot of addiction memoirs. Right? I mean, it's I'm been, an endless of, consumer of yeah. addiction and, memoirs. And these were definitely, your books were definitely unique among them. And I think the radical honesty was part of it. The 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 craft, the writing craft is also at a very high level, much much higher than some of the others. The description uh, of feelings and thoughts that you yeah. were having that you write about are it's like it's really really well done. So I mean that just came natural to you. You're, I mean I guess if you're writing in that journal, you're used to writing. But I mean, did you get like uh, any advice, or did you read a book or watch a YouTube and how to write a memoir? <laughs> or what uh, well, first of all, thank you, and uh, I, I um. Like I took those lessons that you that I said, you know, about about learning from other people's what mm -hmm. I considered failures. Right. I'm a big reader, so I would really That's huge. Right? I mm -hmm. mean, I really analyze what I liked about other people's writing. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I was babysitting my my um 
my best friend's kids when I was in like high school, or maybe it was a little later than that, I forget, but he was overseas. I mean, it must not have been high school. Anyways, when I was younger, and I read The Firm, John mm-hmm. Grisham's The Firm, overnight in one sitting. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, this is easy. I can do this. <laughs> and now I realize, like many years later, like the simplicity of his writing is what was so excellent That's about the skill, right? Exactly. And I'm not, the, I'm, I don't write like him, mm-hmm. but I did realize that there was this nature of this craft. And so like, I have all these authors that I like, like, you know, In Cold Blood is one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. And so that nature, the nature of that writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not a big addiction memoir guy. I mean, um, Burroughs, you know, Junkie. Oh, yeah. I like Weaver, Junkie. Two of my favorites. Naked Lunch really is Junkie weird. was great. Naked, Naked Lunch was indecipherable. I mean, yeah, that was a little odd. That was an interesting one. But yeah, reading a lot, I mean, that yeah. definitely can help. The same thing with music. I'm a bit of a musician. And uh, Are, do you do the. The end of the show song? The, the beginning. The intro too. is my old band, yeah. What about the end of the show? Is that the same? Same song. Yeah, we I just play the intro song. at the beginning and then you we play, play the, the whole thing. thing. And I listen to it yeah. sometimes. I'm like, it rocks. That, that was the best band no one to, ever I heard. I used to cut it off. You. Now I just leave it on, let, let it trail. It's good. Yeah. We yeah. had it's a, a great rock. <laughs> it's I'm a rock. To, I'd like but to re-release it, you know, at some point. I have, it's funny, I have so many people come to me that want to write memoirs and, you know, ask for advice. And I used to just be in you know, welcoming all comers. And now I don't do it because most people are not willing to put in the work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I think one thing is just like when you're writing is just like being a good observer. Yeah. It's like like the same skill you learn with lawyering. And the other thing is that when I was a lawyer, I was um, very aggressive about taking depositions. So Mm -hmm. where the other associates didn't want to take depositions, I did. So I'd be in deposition all day long five days a week sometimes. Yep. And so you learn how people speak in real life because it's literally taken from their mouth to the page. Mm-hmm. So you see the ums and you see the yeah. dashes and you see the way they, the words they say and everything. It's very interesting study of dialogue. Now, has, has straight pepper diet been optioned for a movie? Did I use the right terminology? Option. So. Is that know. what they say? Um, the, Are we making a movie and the, who is playing me? Uh, <laughs> That's what I want to know. I'm, I'm going to go with Nicolas Cage. You think Nicolas Cage yeah, could yeah, do yeah. it? A young Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yes, very young. So, I mean, are, and are we're going to go Tim Roth. Yeah, Tim okay, Roth. Tim Roth. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and you and Brad Pitt will play you <laughs> on stilts. Uh, Tim Roth, by the way, wink, wink. But we'll talk about. Okay, it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I would like to see that movie. Um, before yes, it we, has. it has. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, how could it? Is not, it happening, honestly. or what's going on with um, that? Can we get some insider? It's Hollywood. Or you're not supposed to talk uh, about Nick it. Nick Guta, who is, um, um, he's a Hollywood guy. He's he's optioned it. He's he's representing it. Um, Very cool. He, he wants man. to turn it into a series. Things kind of went south when the during the Trump administration, the, the TV stopped buying, or the TV companies stop buying the same kind of stuff they were buying before. Really? Hmm. And so my uh, my script didn't go over quite as well as it was before because they were looking for things that weren't um, so Lascivious? dark. <laughs> dark. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we'll see. It goes on. Maybe I'll get back on track. There's plenty of, there's plenty of, uh, one of the problems with these type of books getting them made into a series is that there's not enough material, but with my books, because you've got, material, I don't think you need to worry material. about that. Yeah. So he, he loves the prison and jail stuff. It, which the is prison very and we're we're gonna wrap up pretty shortly with the interview portion of this, and then Joseph is gonna sit down with the rest. But before we stop talking about all your books and stuff, I wanted to mention to all of our listeners that Straight Pepper Diet 
has like an amazing that that was with the jail section is in that yeah. one and uh it's great if you like jail stories especially dopey listeners out there you remember uh chris had these great jail stories episodes and mm. it, i mean it's like that his, harrowing but it's but harrowing good. <laughs> good to read but you feel like you're there uh straight pepper diet is joseph now's now's first book and then paul's graph revelation would be the second one um, but I just wanted to make sure that we where, said where that can before. people find the books? Where can they find you? Um, you can find me on josephwnouse.com. I, unless you want to see golf swings, uh, <laughs> you don't need to follow me on social media. <laughs> josephwnouse.com. And uh, you sign up for the mail list. I never send emails out to anybody unless <laughs> I'm sending one about a new book I've written, which I've only written two books. So well, you it's can, time for a new book. So uh, um, before we move on, before we move on, we have to at least get some kind of picture of, like, we know how your life was, right? We, we, we know what you went through just based on the books. So what is your life like today in recovery? Like, give us a little, you know, what it was like, what I was, what I am now. So, like, what are you now? How is it going? My life is so goddamn fantastic. Yeah. It's almost unbelievable. Like, I'm married to the woman of my dreams. Um, I golf constantly. It's my. It's like you're practice. retired. <laughs> it's I, like being retired. I have, you know, we talked about earlier how you, 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 the, the the circumstances of my life have forced me or, or have led me into certain areas, mm-hmm. and so now I'm an investor. I, I invest in small cap companies, mm. and that's what I do. And I love learning, so I get to spend time researching companies and deciding mm-hmm. whether to buy um, pieces of them through through stock transactions, and that's how I make a living now. Um, and so. You know, I just, and I, I do a lot of service work in the programs mm-hmm. uh, of the different various 12-step programs I'm in. I sponsor guys. I go to meetings. Um, I don't go to a lot of in-person meetings. I'm a secretary of one right now. Right. And that's my one in-person meeting a week and mm. maybe do one on Zoom or whatever. But a lot of it, a lot of my time is spent talking to sponsees and uh, taking through the big book and stuff. And uh, I, it's just a wonderful life. And the other thing, too, is, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this with sobriety, but I've you know, you guys are, you guys are all over 50, right? No, no, no. Uh, well, I am. Sorry. I'm a baby. I thought you said you were. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a baby. Well, he, he looks good for 58, right? doesn't he? I'm 43. <laughs> this guy's 57. 53. Thank you <laughs> for adding the years. Much I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You, yeah, you I'm not, not quite look, as middle-aged. You actually don't look like you're 50. I just thought because <laughs> recovery in the middle ages <laughs> well, is your 50 we figure middle ages. Our demographic, we said middle age, let's, we'll, we'll go down to 33, right? <laughs> <laughs> 33 will count you as middle ages to get you on board. Yeah. But my point was yeah. is that if the three guys that are in their you know 40s and 50s in the, in the US in the shape that we're in yeah. is a testament to uh recovery it because is indeed. I you know I was in before I got sober I was an amateur kickboxer <laughs> and I was I'm in better shape now than I was then probably. I mean I I'm in great shape because I do everything that I want to do now. It's not like addiction doesn't guide me. So if I don't want to eat a certain way, I don't eat a certain way. If I want to exercise every day, I exercise every day. Like I don't do the shit. I, Mm -hmm. I'm not controlled by addiction. I'm controlled by my set of principles and morals and direction for my life. So those have built up equity in my life through the last 18 years. I've just built up equity despite these labels that I've been handed with. I built up equity. I have equity in friendships, in money, in career, in sobriety, in spirituality. And could you have done any of this had you not quit drinking? 
Oh, of course not. Right. Yeah. I'd be dead. So to those of you out there that are wondering, like, my life is going to be over once I stop using, once I stop drinking, it's going to be no fun. I it's think the what exact we're, opposite. That's what we're finding. And that's what we talk about. Like how much, like our life has finally just begun. It feels like sometimes, Yeah. you know, and, yeah. um, and it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for talking yeah. to us. Thanks for coming all this way to but talk with us. We're not letting him leave just yet. No, that's true. Those of you out there wondering if we're going to do recovery in the news and uh, we're doing it. <laughs> we no, sure no. are. I don't want to get involved in this too much on this and I don't want to impede, but <laughs> it's kind of a fantasy of mine to, to like do the very end of the, the, the song where you do the, the end. Oh, you want to do that <laughs> part? What's the last part of you? Fucking motherfucker. Can I jump in on I'll, the motherfucker part? I'll let you do that one. No, no, I just want to jump on the motherfucker part. Okay. Okay. Got it. I'll say it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, find, jo- find Joseph yeah. uh, at josephwnass.com. His books are available for purchase at uh, Amazon, right? Audible. Is, Audible. Both on Audible. Right. Yeah, I got him on Audible. And listening to them is great because you read them yourself. Uh, I have to say your voice is a little different since I listened to them at one one and a third speed. <laughs> but, <laughs> that California nasal. I listen yeah. to it at regular speed. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was patient. I wanted to listen to it. No, you don't. It. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> I'm not like gifted with a radio voice like it's you guys, but hey. <laughs> I, I thought that it was very well read. Anyway, now it is time for Recovery, recovery in, the in the News. Yeah! All right! <laughs> recovery in the News. Recovery Motherfucker, but who's motherfucker? Motherfucker. I don't. I don't get to whisper cuss on on on, uh, on a podcast very often. I blew it. I, that was a one hundred percent blow it. Yeah. You got like, that was just straight up blow it. That I think people people knew what you were cool. getting out there. <laughs> You'll have another chance in the outro. That is a thrill of a life. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Surprisingly, we get more feedback on that than any of the actual content we put out there. So, recovery in the news. Uh, recovery in the news this week uh, comes from. Uh, MSN.com, that reliable old news source. Uh, although I saw this article, I think this was like sort of one of those articles that ends up on a bunch of different news sources. Mm. Apparently, non-alcoholic drink sales are booming during COVID-19 pandemic, as well as alcohol sales booming. Uh, Sober October is a trend where people give up drinking alcohol for a full month. I have some friends that are doing that this year. Uh, but non-alcoholic options can be hard to find sometimes. I don't know. We agree with that. I mean, there's plenty of non-alcoholic options, but I guess they're talking about non-alcoholic options that resemble alcoholic options. Oh, like that's uh, mocktails. Do you do um, NA beer, Joseph? No. I'm, I'm sort of against beer, it. Beer is for it. near alcoholics. Yeah. As they say. And no. Well, I, I don't care so, about that at all. I just don't do them. So this company called A Fresh Sip, I guess, is a company that started a couple of months ago. It sounds like a startup. We launched about a year ago, and it's been incredibly absolutely incredible to see the sober curious face grow. Okay. And we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, We saw that there was a lack of access to a lot of the non-alcoholic beverages that were coming out and a lack of awareness. But why launch this site now? Well, I guess it's a a clearinghouse for non-alcoholic beverages. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic has something to do with it. A lot of people started cutting out cutting back on alcohol, and some people just gave it up altogether. Uh, The non-alcoholic beverage industry saw a 30% jump in sales during the pandemic uh, because it's a wide variety of people started turning to these drinks. They're looking for things that have a variety of different options that are gluten-free, pregnant, friendly, all of that. 
pregnant. Well, it shouldn't be a comma there, but uh, I don't know who writes this copy. Mm-hmm. Um, Thacker, who's the head of the company, wants to remind people that it's okay not to drink. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not yeah. drinking should be, should be just as normal as the choice to drink, and there's such a stigma around it. Yeah. I mean, How wow, we- right? Uh, there's such a stigma around not not drinking. I mean, yeah. I thought that was all in my head, this stigma. Like, when I go to a party or a dinner or something, and I'm the only one putting my hand up, no, I'm not drinking. But I feel it, right? Do you get that, Joseph? Not so much, but I. But in the past, I remember. There's always that guy. Oh, come on, have a drink. Yeah, right. They got to like force it out of you. Like, you know? what's like, wrong with you? Or how's this one? Why don't you drink? And you're like, well, how <laughs> yeah. much all? time you have? Yeah. <laughs> you can say I, I wrote a whole book on. You that. Just hand him a book. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's why I don't drink, asshole. But I mean, you know, it's, it's the old expression that alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not doing right. in public, right? Yeah. Um, which I don't know. So I guess. Non-alcoholic wines, beers, and mixers are are becoming a thing because people are realizing that they became alcoholics during the pandemic and need to stop. So Yeah, uh, there's a lot of that. Who am I to criticize anything that gets people to drink less, right? Yes. Although, I don't know. Sober October bothers me for some reason. Never used to bother me. But what about sober September? It's- sober September, sober October, dry January. Yeah. You know, how about just... Let's just you know, stop drinking. If you need to take a month <laughs> off from drinking, maybe take a month maybe there's a reason for that. You know, I don't yeah. know. I, who am I to judge? It's a little like kitschy. The <laughs> vegans, they have the same thing for vegan stuff. I'm always like, okay, Meatless whatever. Monday. Meat, there you go, Meatless Monday. Wait, what was your vegan joke? I'm putting you on the spot. No, no, I, I, I felt like apologizing for that. I, well, it's, this, it's, no, it's the, the same. It's the... The, the classic it, vegan it is joke, the classic right? joke. It's like telling the classic lawyer how joke, you right? Know? How do you how do you know that somebody's a vegan? You don't. Don't worry, they'll tell you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Joseph is going to Joseph is going to give us some recipes <laughs> for uh, from vegan recipes so that the rest of us on the uh, Facebook group can. It must be really because you know food I've, recovery. I've been a vegan. I've been a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for ten years. I was a vegan for like four years. I was a macrobiotic vegan for two years. And uh, I saw you eat a hot dog, by the way, at a Cub Scout camp out. It was the only thing there was. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'm bouncing in, bouncing in and out. And <laughs> But but whenever I traveled for work, I would always eat vegan if I could find it, just because I felt lighter. And, you know, it was just like, I didn't want to... The steakhouse thing when traveling is just such... It's so hackneyed and it's it's horrible. Um, you know, and I don't know if you... I mean, this is going off field, but I don't know if you watch Cowspiracy and, you know, all these other documentaries that yeah. basically talk about the ecological damage of eating animal products and so on. You know, Cowspiracy. I don't wanna, yeah. Yeah, check it out. It's what on Netflix. It? Huh. I'll but, check that one out. Cowspiracy, um, everyone. But I guess my point is, like, living in L.A. and living in, like, in New York City, it is very easy to be a vegan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even here where we are, like, it is, like... It, uh, Nobody can get their heads around it. You know, not a lot of op- dining options. People get and offended stuff. if you tell if you yeah. someone's like, "I'm a vegan." People are like, "Where do you get your protein?" You know, yeah, well, like, so that's always the question. <laughs> right? oh, that's funny. Yeah, I always tell people, "I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I'm having such a hard time." <laughs> Where is you the know? Protein? I always I've been doing a lot of. Um, uh, volunteer work at the uh, protein deficiency <laughs> hospital because there's just a huge lack so, of protein in America. A lack of protein going on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange that, uh, but it, it, like alcohol, it's strange that like heavy meat consumption is the norm when for human health it's not really optimal. But well, right. with the with alcohol and uh, veganism, one way to come at it from a different angle for people that don't want to talk about that political stuff and all that and protein mm-hmm. and all that is talk about inflammation. 
Oh yeah. Because mm. if you eat a yeah. really low inflammation diet, yeah. you won't be eating much dairy and meat. And that's where you can see people like if you put somebody on a strictly low inflammation diet for a week, it will blow their mind how mm. good they feel. Mm. Yeah. It will blow your mind. Like, I want to try that. Well, I mean, you're already mm. in good shape, so you probably aren't. But it won't last, you know. You may not be None inflamed. None of this lasts. You could be inflamed. <laughs> I've been to the gym in a month. It's all going to fall apart. And um, that's Recovering the News. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We usually don't do it on the back end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. sometimes. Um, so that was Recovery in the News. Thank you for uh, joining in, Joseph. And now. Next up. The weekend, weekend weird. Yeah, this one was going to go on the scrap pile, right? Yeah, you guys are it salvaging it. I like it. Popular demand. Yeah, popular the, demand. Not the monsters want to hear more. Uh, Dog man caught on film <laughs> by who? Tim Benal. He's our favorite uh, intrepid paranormal reporter. A man hiking in the Florida Panhandle captured intriguing footage of a bipedal creature, which he suspects could be a Bigfoot. Of course. The potential Sasquatch sighting reportedly occurred late last month as Tyler Howell was exploring a wooded area near the community of Crestview. Stopping at a location along some power lines, the witness was stunned when he looked off in the distance and saw a dark figure walking across the clearing. Although... Howell managed to capture some footage of the sighting, which can be seen here, which is a link, which we'll put in the show notes, maybe. Maybe. It is unfortunately fairly <laughs> typical of most potential Sasquatch videos as the nature of the creature in the clip. <laughs> it's incredibly difficult yeah. to discern. Why is that? Why are all the Sasquatch videos well, difficult to discern? I think a, a Sasquatch is, is a trans-dimensional being, probably, right? That, that makes sense. Well, and that's the only way to describe why no out. one's a, ever actually captured one. Right, because they're phasing in and out of our dimension. Okay. And it makes sense. What makes Howell suspect that it may have been Bigfoot is that it is currently deer bow hunting season in Florida. <laughs> That makes sense. Right. Um, were the figure a human hunter, they would have been required to wear some kind of orange clothing as a safety measure. But this one was not. Well, we all know that people in Florida do the things that they're supposed to be doing they when do. they wander around outside. <laughs> At right? all times. Uh, well, while uh, Howell's footage may be hard to decipher, some Bigfoot enthusiasts argue that the creature's posture and apparent stride make for the strong possibility that it is the famed Cryptid. Um, or another, any other kind of Florida swamp dweller. Skeptical viewers, however, posit that the bipedal creature is probably just a person who was either unknowingly cast as Sasquatch <laughs> or an active participant in an elaborate I prank. hate it when people mistake me for Sasquatch. <laughs> it happens. It happens. And uh, that was... Hunched over. <laughs> cruising through the, I mean, the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, No what, pictures. No pictures. <laughs> what's your... Uh, What's your view on Sasquatch? Is there is there a, a Bigfoot out there? Are these all crazy people? They're all real. Joseph W. Nows, what do you think? <laughs> I think that people need uh, uh, good conspiracies to, to have something to talk about. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Weak and weird. Sasquatch. Oh, sorry. Missed my cue. It happens. Well, that about does it for today. <laughs> I know I had a great time. Did you? I had a fucking great time it was um, awesome thank you for listening and thank you joseph for joining us uh this was like really cool and um visit us at middleagesrecovery.com podbean apple podcast facebook instagram spotify youtube and twitter so tweet us a twat you twit uh support your favorite show <laughs> what drop does that sound like what? to a normal person tweet us a twat you twit yeah 
It, it's a little. It's a little. Uh, it's a bit weird. It's a little rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little rough. Okay. So first time I heard, it, I was like, "What? <laughs> don't Just put that on. Don't, don't put that on the t-shirt. You're like, <laughs> not on the t-shirt, folks. You're not going to leave that in the show, are you? Um, drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt, or simply write and say hello. We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to help. Uh, help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our show, please share it and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfecto. <laughs> That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. All right. Thank you. <laughs>